What's up, everybody? This is Elliot Terrell, and you're listening to Magical Thinking. Our guest for this episode is Ben Seidman. Ha, oh, man, fun with friends. I mean, this podcast is McDonald's. I'm loving it. All right, if you're still listening after those silly references to Pete Holmes's comedy, I appreciate it, and I know that you're a true fan of the show. <laughs> Ben and I talk about Pete's comedy and his podcast in the episode, and there are a lot of inside jokes between the two of us that hopefully, if you listen to You Made It Weird, you'll get as well. But besides that, we also talk a lot about comedy and magic and comedy and how those two things go together. Ben is a comedy magician. He's really, really funny. I laughed so much and very loudly in this episode. I do want to give you a heads up. It may be a little tough on your speakers or your headphones, but... The episode is hilarious. We had a really wonderful time. I can't wait for you guys to listen to it. Talk about hecklers and open mics and authenticity and creating comedy that's worth doing and, you know, all the different stuff that you can learn as a magician from comedy or just as a layperson who's interested in magic and comedy. Anyway, it's awesome. You should definitely get into it and let me know what you think by emailing podcast at Art of Magic. If you haven't already, follow us on all the social media channels. We just relaunched artofmagic.com, and it's super awesome. I'd love to hear your feedback. Like I said, follow us on all the socials. Instagram, Facebook, search Magical Thinking Podcast, search Art of Magic. You'll find us. Give us likes and follows and comments and make us internet famous. Essentially, that's, I mean, that's the whole goal is for us to be internet famous. And you helped because you're awesome, and I really appreciate you, and I love you, and it's important to me that you know that. Also, this feels like a weird time to now plug the Patreon, but (laughs) if you do, and vaguely manipulative, if you do support the podcast, go to patreon.com, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash magical thinking. There's actually a behind-the-scenes thing for this episode that will make more sense once you listen but there's a picture of Ben and his girlfriend on the Patreon. So you can see this quote-unquote person that we're talking about throughout the episode and joking about and laughing about. Anyway, go check that out. You can spend some time with me and hear more of my thoughts on magic and on style and neat, fun stuff like that. So patreon.com slash magicalthinking. Go ahead and subscribe to that. Follow us on all the socials. Do all the things. Do, do good work. Be awesome and get into Ben's episode. Man, this was a rambling intro. This one was a lot. I feel like that's good. I feel like that's how this one is supposed to go. Ben was awesome. He was super fun. Fast friends, I feel like. Fast fun with friends. Another Pete Holmes reference. Anyway, okay, I'm done. Get into Ben's episode. He's the best. Follow him on socials too. See him live. He's very funny. Ben Seidman. Enjoy. How's it going, man? What are you doing? Um, just got back from. I was I was at sea for a bit. You were at sea. Yes. Were you doing floating around? Nick Defoe's ship. No, no, no. Because no. I saw that picture of you guys. Oh, that's fun. No, we. Uh, he he's doing. I forget what line it's called. It's the Oster something. Osterdam is the. Um, the. The name of the ship, I forgot the name of the line. But I was on Princess. Oh, okay. Yeah. How's that? 
doing the show or running into Nick? Both. <laughs> it was great seeing Nick. We'd only met briefly, so. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, he's a, he's a nice guy. Seems really cool and creative, and we had a good time together. He's one of my favorite people. Yeah, he's awesome. Um, I just had never sat down, but we spent a whole day together. It was super, super cool. That's cool. He's very funny. Yes. He, he was in town. He had a week off, and he was in town, and he slept on my couch. Oh, nice. That's great. And it was awful. That was great. We don't have that level of friendship yet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, he seems cool. I was on. I was on the Star Princess. The I did Star two Princess. weeks doing shows there mm-hmm. in that theater. How was that? So, good. Good. Yeah. We're recording now, aren't we? We are. I assume so. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know why that caught me off guard. I knew that was going to happen. I know you like Pete Holmes's podcast. Yep. So I didn't <laughs> see this coming. <laughs> I don't know why it got me. Uh, we just cut in right at Nick, just at the very Nick. beginning. Yeah. Um, Good comedy name. Yeah. Got that hard consonant at Absolutely. the end. Absolutely. The last like three podcasts I've done have started out talking about Nick. Really? Yeah. That's super creepy. In that case, please edit that out. He's going to be like, what the hell is going on, you this guys? This fucking guy has a weird crush on me. It's, well, probably true, but I mean, you did bring him up straight off the bat. Well, I just saw that uh, you guys... We did post a photo together yeah. on the 4th of July of us looking very, very happy to be American. <laughs> <laughs> just roaming around Juno in the rain. Yeah. It was delightful. Great. But I've done... This is now the, I think, third or fourth summer that I've done... Spent some of the summer doing ships mm-hmm. uh, in Alaska, like performing on these cruise ships, all with Princess. And uh, so I've gotten to know these small towns pretty well, like Skagway, which is a population of seven until <laughs> until cruise ships come in. Mm-hmm. Quaint little town, but absolutely beautiful. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. That's been a lot of the summer so far. Yeah. What is it? How is it different performing on a cruise ship than anywhere else? Well, it depends. I mean, the theaters are absolutely beautiful. I'm working a room that seats like 800 to 1,000. Beautiful theater, incredible tech, all that stuff. Uh, audiences are really, really great, but certainly different than performing at <laughs> colleges, which I do a lot of. So I end up, you know, I end up having the same routine that I might do at both different shows, but with like presentation that's similar but very different like mm-hmm. i'll leave out jokes or add in different jokes there's certain lines that won't work at all like a joke that will have people on a cruise ship like falling over laughing but if i do it at a college show you'll just get crickets yeah so um i kind of have to like edit as i go and remind myself like oh yeah i'm censoring here and there and that's been pretty easy now but when i first started out it was a little harder yeah like the first i remember the first ship i did uh, a woman came backstage to talk to the cruise director, irate that I was swearing. <laughs> she was so upset that I swore on stage. And I'm there, I can hear this conversation. I'm like, I did not swear on stage. What is this woman talking about? And then I realized that in an ad lib, I had asked someone in the audience something, and they'd given me just a weird response. And so I responded because I didn't have anything. It was so strange. I was like, oh my God, I've never gotten that one before. And the words oh my god we're swearing we're a swear to this woman oh my god (laughs) that's amazing this is very different Mm -hmm. so they're not fucking around no she wasn't anymore she she was she was fucking with jesus real hardcore (laughs) and she was not having my oh my god comments (laughs) 
He's swearing in the name of the Lord. In the name. Oh, you see, so you can do that accent naturally, though, because you're from Texas, yeah, I'm right? I'm from Louisiana. Oh, Louisiana. Yeah, you're from oh. Texas, right? No, I'm from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. God damn it. It's like Texas, but totally been, different. Couldn't have been any, any further <laughs> off. <laughs> so you're from Jamaica. I'm from Jamaica. I'm a white Jamaican. There are some of us, man, and not many, man. <laughs> I have no other Jam- Jamaican things to say. It's just going to be mine over and it's over like again. It's like the Canadian A. Yeah, that's true. My Canadian girlfriend is with us today. She's here. She's Canadian? She's Canadian. Get I brought my girlfriend with out. because she no, is <laughs> She is here in town visiting, which is lovely. And it's exciting that she's here because people find out I have a Canadian girlfriend and just assume, oh, Ben doesn't really have a girlfriend. <laughs> ben is gay. <laughs> because of the, the trope, the Canadian girlfriend trope. Like, yeah. you know, and Avenue Q and all these other pop culture things. Like, if you say you have a Canadian girlfriend, you just don't have a girlfriend. Mm-hmm. But luckily, you can see it. This is when Elliot whispers into the podcast, Ben came alone. Says <laughs> to the microphone, there's no, there hasn't been a girl here in no, years. No, no, I just insert it after we're done. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so yeah, yeah, just got into town from that. Um, and even though did you guys feels... meet on a cruise ship in Alaska? Oh, we did. Did you really? Yeah, we totally oh. did. Is that written down on a billet? Are you gonna show me a, a pad that says written <laughs> not on a cruise ship? <laughs> we actually did. Oh god. I don't do cruise ships more than like fifteen to twenty percent of the year though, and I'm very adamant about that. <laughs> Because well, there's just too many Canadian girls. No. <laughs> <laughs> Someone saw my show and then saw me again years later, like a year and a half later, and was like, oh, is this, oh, this is the girl from Alberta. Or no, what did, oh, Calgary. They're like, this is the girl from Calgary, which is a different Canadian city than where she lives. <laughs> and she looked at me like, do you have multiple Canadian girlfriends? <laughs> and I was like, no, I wish. That sounds like a logistical nightmare, but very fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sorry for dredging up that old fight. <laughs> <laughs> she walks out. <laughs> Going back to Canada. <laughs> and she does. <laughs> Walking from Southern California to well, politically, right now, it's nice to know that I have that in my back pocket if things really go to shit. That's so true. So. Oh, my gosh. Do you do... Like, I saw the... the um, I don't remember what the name of the trick is, but when you paint with the cards. Um, do you do a lot of social justice magic? <laughs> <laughs> Why are those two things related? Well, you know, whatever. Oh, um, well... I wouldn't say I do a lot of social. I do some. I do some, like, I've done a couple of political things Mm -hmm. that exist. Uh, I did a thing pre-election called Magicians for Trump, or I don't even remember what it was, but it was a card trick. Not using that. It was like a... Oh, what am I thinking about? I don't know. I did a, I guess you could call it a Sam the Bellhop style routine. Uh, That might be what I'm confabulating. Yeah, possibly. Um, Talking about Donald Trump and the video starts out with me being a huge Trump fan and talking about how great he is doing this card trick to illustrate it. And over the course of like two or three minutes, like realizing he's a liar trying to fight it and then just like having a bit of a meltdown. (laughs) It was pretty fun. Um, Did you write that yourself? I did. That's cool. I did. I had some help from, uh, I had a couple friends weigh in who are smart, funny people. And the thing changed so many times before I did it. For a like completely self-funded project that was just like a card trick I wanted to put out into the world, mm-hmm. it took a lot more work and time and money than I expected mm-hmm. just to get it looking good. And um, 
and you know it worked so well <laughs> clearly <laughs> but i tried it is out there if any of the listeners want to see it I, I think if you go to my youtube account it's uploaded it went kind of viral on facebook it's got like i think 80,000 hits or something there but uh, I don't know I guess those 80,000 people did not vote in Wisconsin <laughs> <laughs> well I just wondered because I know that like uh, your your show is comedy based and you do a lot of stand up style material and stand up and uh, I just you know uh, you can I don't, it's fine you can, it, it's okay All right. <laughs> uh, but um, fuck what was I saying oh um I just wondered, you know, how important it is for you to comment on what's going on and how much comedy influences your magic. Ah, um, I think those are two different questions. And they, they, they definitely. I'll, no, ask, I'll answer one of the two. It's up to you. Whichever one. The other one I will ignore. Where's the coin? Uh, uh, I probably have one, knowing me. Uh, I would say that I try to comment politically whenever I can and whenever it's appropriate, mm-hmm. but that means a small amount in a lot of contexts. Yeah. Like, um, I know with colleges, they tend to be more liberal environments, but there's going to be a percentage of people there who, uh, who are more conservative-minded. And so I know that I can bring things up, certainly, like it's, it's on the table, but I know that it's going to make some people upset and uncomfortable, and then I know that it's my job to make fun of those people until they think it's funny again. Yeah. Um, or to like tread that line. I haven't had anyone walk out on any Trump material um, yet. Just the oh my god. <laughs> just yeah, just oh my god <laughs> to a woman who was praising Jesus <laughs> at the very moment. I did. <laughs> Speaking of that, I did some jokes on. Um, I, I do a I do a handling of Ringwatch Wall that I designed to look like Tommy Wonders, but it's my own method. I did it on Fool Us, mm-hmm. and uh, the whole thing is just like a like three or four minute chunk of stand-up comedy about religion. But it's very benign. It mm-hmm. is very nice to everybody. It is not offensive at all. And the great thing about it is Jewish people, atheists, Christians, everyone seems to like it. I don't know any Muslims. Uh, no, that's not true. I do know some, but uh, it doesn't but they're address. But they okay. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And that was the last episode of the uh. Drama Muhammad contest that was the Art of Magic contest. <laughs> Uh, no, it was, uh, yeah, it's like really chill. It's, it mentions atheism, Christianity, and Judaism, and everyone seemed to like it. And then once in a blue moon, one every, every hundred thousand people that see that routine, there will be one person who's just upset and bothered, uh, and say, like, I didn't like the way that you talked about Jesus. And my response is usually, oh, I'm so sorry. What, what did I say that offended you? And they never have a response. Like there's, because there's nothing that I say that's like negative or bad. Just the idea of making funny things and talking about religion is enough to be upsetting. Yeah, those are the people that get upset at everything. Totally, they're just waiting. <laughs> yeah, they're just waiting. So uh, what I'm trying to say is I'm the antichrist. And I'm <laughs> seeping into everyone's lives. What was the other question you asked me? I don't think I answered either of them, Elliot. Well, I don't remember either of them anyway. So. <laughs> Well, we'll never know because there's I, no I think, record I think it of just this. Asked about like uh, merging comedy and magic. Oh, no. I mean, I've always liked comedy, and my favorite magician. I think the person who influenced me most was David Williamson. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to find a funnier magician than David Williamson. And so I think early on, seeing him really formulated, like, kind of changed my idea of what magic could be. How so? 
Well, I saw a TV clip of him a long time ago. I was probably uh, eight or nine. I don't remember when this came out. I think it was some sort of Houdini special, mm-hmm. and it had a bunch of magicians featured. Mac was on there. Mac King was on there. Williamson was. A handful of other people. And Williamson did the needle swallow, mm-hmm. which, if you've ever seen him do it, it's hilarious like everything else he does. And he just runs into the audience at the beginning of the show, doesn't even like really come out and present himself, just comes on stage, immediately goes into the audience, just grabs a woman and throws her over his shoulder <laughs> and just starts running up on stage. <laughs> he essentially just kidnaps a woman in front of everyone. And, you know, he's humongous. So yeah. there's this giant carrying this woman over his shoulder and he looks at the camera for a second and he goes, kids, try this at home. <laughs> and that's when I knew I wanted to be a magician. <laughs> because, I, I mean, I saw that moment and I was like, this is just so out of the box and different from what I thought magic was. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny. And it, like, it took me off guard. And a lot of, not all, but a lot of good comedy takes you off guard. Yeah. Like, there's even a type of joke called a misdirect, like misdirection and magic. It's like, you're surprised by, like, that idea. And so, um, so I always, I always liked comedy. And um, as I started performing more and more, I started, I liked the idea of, like, oh, what if I could just do comedy? Mm-hmm. Oh, what if I could, you know, if you can just do comedy then you're going to be a better performer. Yeah. Like, absolutely. And I don't do much straight stand-up, but I have, and it certainly helps. And so a lot of my pieces are formatted in that way where there'll be, like, a chunk of comedy and a magical thing that happens, and they may not even be necessarily mixed together at the same moment, Mm -hmm. like the thing I did on Foolish, where it's, like, stand-up and then magic. So, yeah, very important to me. I think, like, I would not be... I would not be happy doing a show if I wasn't making people laugh. Like, I've done shows where there's a culture divide or there's some sort of reason why the comedy just isn't going to work. And so I'll just do magic, and they love it because you're hired as, or at least I'm hired as a magician. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I, you know, they will leave being like, that guy was amazing. But I will leave just being like, I hated every second. (laughs) Nobody was laughing at anything. Like, that to me is more rewarding because at a certain point I was like, okay, I know I can fool people. Mm -hmm. And now it's, can I make people, now can I give them the whole package? And the rest of that for me is writing jokes, like not doing anything stock, or at least, you know, not doing anything that people would recognize as like another person's joke or anything like that. Mm -hmm. That makes me irate. Talk about it. Tell me about it. Oh, I just, I don't know. You know, you see, most magicians, I did listen to part of the interview you did with Harrison. And so I don't want to repeat too much of what he said. But um, if you are listening to me and you haven't listened to that interview, a lot of good things. If you're interested in getting into comedy and magic or becoming funnier, because most magicians get it totally wrong. (laughs) They just, uh, just like, it's everyone's a carbon copy of everyone else. Everyone's a cover band. There's no... Um, not there's no, but there's just tons of magicians working and some of them successful Mm -hmm. doing other people's jokes and it makes people who write their own material want to kill them. And it also makes them less marketable because, and if if you're working and you want to be a professional performer, people who are bookers and agents and all those people, they're wising up. They're starting to see magicians and go like, oh no, okay, I recognize that bit. That guy's not someone I want to work with. Mm Mm-hmm my college agent works almost entirely with stand-up comedians and like summit comedy was like a no variety 
because they had just seen bad magic. They would yeah. seen all these magicians do the same stuff and do the same jokes worse. Um, and so I think that's one of the reasons I was able to get in is because I write and I write like jokes and I can, I do a thing that's not, that doesn't feel antiquated or hacky. Mm-hmm. I hope. Yeah. God, I hope I'm not listening to this in the future <laughs> when I'm just doing Bolarama. <laughs> shoot myself in the head. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, I mean, it sucks because people that know, I mean, magic itself was blacklisted for a long time for exactly what you said, because the stereotype of the magician is cheesy and hacky and uh, uninteresting. Yeah. And, and people like you are fighting the good fight. I'm trying, man. I remember hearing, like, hearing comedians talk about magic when I first started working in comedy clubs. Yeah. And I was like, but wait a second. All these people hate magic. And they're saying all these things about how it's not original and how you're not really, like, talking about who you are and tackling anything. And none of that. And then I realized, like, oh, no, they're all they're all correct. Yeah. <laughs> Most of the time. Not always. I mean, yeah. if you see Delgadio's show, that's the opposite of that. That's yeah. like the epitome of soul-bearing. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't have to be what you do if you're performing magic. You don't have to put yourself on the line in that way. But you do ideally want to do something that is true to you mm-hmm. and fits you as a person. <laughs> jazz hands. <laughs> that's, I, don't, I, didn't, I forgot to mention, he's been doing jazz hands the whole time. The entire time. And um, there is no Canadian girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> my jazz hands are my Canadian girlfriend. <laughs> um, Gross. I don't want to... Um, here's the thing, though. I love magic so much, and I love magicians. <laughs> and so does she, which is why she's here. <laughs> she doesn't... She's just some girl who I saw walking in K-Town and hired her shoulder. <laughs> I was like, this guy named David Williams had told me to do this. She's like, who? What? Put me down. Um, I decided, though, that, like, uh, I didn't want to spend this whole podcast talking about, like, the problems with magic. Because I love magic so much. And I love magicians. It's mm-hmm. just sometimes hard to see things. Like, I want to see things that make me happy about magic. Mm-hmm. And that's why I kind of, like, I sort of pulled back from the magic community a bit. Like, I published a coin vanish on Theory 11 called uh, Alchemy, Coin Change. And I think the end of 2010, and I haven't published anything since, mm-hmm. not because I don't like that world. I think it's really great and important, but because I wanted to step back and focus on actually doing shows. Yeah. I love that Vanish. I bought it when it came out. Oh, thanks. So We can jam on it later if you want. Thank you. Yeah. Um, what, <clears throat> how much of your methods are original in the shows that you do? Just out of curiosity, because, uh, you know, I'm trying to... Just for myself, I'm trying to figure out, like, when I'm doing magic and I want to not be hack, I want to not be a carbon copy, does that also mean that I am allowed to use methods that are already published and methods that other people are using? Sure, I think so. I mean, I use a lot of methods that I came up with, Mm -hmm. but they're not, like, I didn't come up with them out of, they completely don't exist in any form, but, like... Magicians have a low bar for originality. And when it comes to a lot of the methods I use, maybe 75% I use in the show are things that I think a magician would say, oh, that's a a method that you created. Mm -hmm. That part's important to me. I like that part a lot. And it is, you know, you never get the credit from the audience. You only get credit from other magicians who are either fooled or you talk through the method and they're like, oh, that's so cool that you, you know, went in that direction Mm -hmm. or whatever. Um... 
I really like that. That part's important to me. Um, but it's also, you can be a very original performer and use classic methods or even classic tricks. There's plenty of examples of great magicians who use really standard tricks and really standard methods, but because of who they are and their mm-hmm. presentation, it's very, very new. Yeah. But I like that stuff. I love tinkering. Like yesterday I spent 12 hours covered in epoxy. Like <laughs> I like building things and making prototypes and trying new things. And I'm remaking a gimmick for the third time. That is a thing I use in my show, but I keep coming up with ways to make it a tiny bit better. Mm-hmm. Not even a lot better, just a tiny bit more deceptive. And I have no problem spending three or 400 hours working on something just to make it mm-hmm. 0.01% better. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, I think that's essentially how coming up with original methods works anyway, is you start with something that you know works. And then as you're performing it and as it develops on stage, I mean, it's just like starting out with a joke, you know, as you're doing the material, it starts to take on its own shape because of how it's playing in the audience and what feedback you get from them. Yeah. It's the same thing with a method as you go, oh, this was a weird thing that I had to fix during the show. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's a thing I can incorporate. And then it becomes a different thing on its own. 100%. Yeah, it changes and grows and evolves in that cool way if you're actually doing it. Mm -hmm. If you come up with a method and just tinker with it and then publish it, Mm -hmm. that doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. But if you perform it and actually put it on its feet night after night or whenever you can, Mm -hmm. that totally happens. That's another thing to any young magicians listening. If you have an idea that you came up with, don't just try to publish it. Like, work on it. Like perform it, do it a lot of times, and then also ask magicians who are more informed than you, hey, have you seen this before? Mm -hmm. Because there's so many times when you'll see a thing that came out as this original new trick, and it's like, oh no, that's in Corinda. That was was written in a book a long time ago. That exact thing. Did you add anything to it? No, it's actually worse than the original. (laughs) But yeah, that's... Yeah, I don't want to stop you. Go ahead. No, no, no. I'm just, I'm going on a tangent. Please stop me for the love of God. Oh <laughs> well, my God. <laughs> he was talking about Jesus. Uh, if you say that one more time, I'm walking out. It would um, be amazing if you held me to that. <laughs> You're like, I'm not from Texas, but I am from Louisiana and we're done here. <laughs> and we're done. Thank you for your time. Uh, I will never see you again. <laughs> um, no, uh, um, Oh, that's, that's like a big thing. Uh, so this came up in Harrison's podcast, which was that first level, second level, third level idea. It's like a lot of the stuff that was published in a book <clears throat> by guys that were working and doing shit. You come up with another method to do their trick, and that's a method they threw away and thought wasn't good enough to put out. Yeah. Know? Like that's a, that's a big thing that I'm trying to communicate when we launch the new site is uh, like – Hey, you think your thing is original because it's a new play on something that was published. Have you thought about the fact that maybe that person already came up with it and thought it wasn't good for these reasons? Uh Uh-huh. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But don't be discouraged as you're like working on stuff and creating magic. You have to create things that are bad and create things that have been done before hundreds and hundreds of times before you have like a nugget Mm -hmm. that's like that's really not just works but is good Mm -hmm. not just fools people but is good Mm -hmm. what is that what's the definition of good well it i mean that's different for everybody right but i think that for me good is feels original 
and kills in a room. Mm-hmm. Like if if you just fool people, who cares? Because you can crack open any magic book. You can go to the Art of Magic website, download a great classic trick being taught really well, and learn it and fool people. Mm-hmm. And that's great. Um, but if you're going to put together a piece that you really want to breathe life into, like it should not just fool people, it should also it should also kill. It should be entertaining and um, and that that being said, there are things that I perform that I are that I'm working towards that goal. Mm-hmm. But they're not done yet. Yeah. But I think my I, I have I do two shows on the cruise ship. Um, for instance, they're each fifty minutes long and they're different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say that seventy to seventy-five percent of the material is original, twenty-five percent being more classic. Mm-hmm. But I would say both both shows have the possibility of killing really hard <laughs> when things go really well. Yeah. And. Um, and yeah, that makes me feel really good. But it took me 10 years to get here. Yeah. And plenty of time before that. Mm-hmm. That was like 10 years of working the road, of working comedy clubs, of working crappy gigs, and like trying and failing and trying new things and mm-hmm. talking over ideas with other great, smart magicians. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't mean to stop you. No, you're not stopping me. I just ran out of things to talk. <laughs> Elliot's writing down in his journal like a serial killer right now. <laughs> he's scratching one side of his head and rocking back and forth. He's, he's not doing any of those things. <laughs> no, but Ben still is doing jazz hands. <laughs> I've been oh. doing it the whole time, which is weird because I keep drinking coffee. So it's, what is lifting up the coffee cup? Can we cut that out? <laughs> no, we can't. Okay. You're just spilling coffee all over yourself while doing jazz I almost hands. did just there. <laughs> <laughs> um... Thanks for giving me coffee with a straw, by the way. Very handy. <laughs> Very jazz handy. Yeah. All right, well, let's put that to bed. <laughs> totally. When do we start recording, Elliot? <laughs> oh, shit. Is no, the mic on? No, it's... Um, uh, what were we just talking... Oh, the, uh, this is an important thing, because this is what I wanted to say, which is why I wrote down the thing in my journal, which is not what I wanted to say, which is why I wrote it down. Um... It's so important to know, to be able to, to have the foresight that you know something will kill. Like when you have the idea and you go, oh, that is something really good. That feels inevitable. I don't know how I'm gonna get there, but you know, you kind of feel it. And as you work on it, as you work it out, it gets closer and closer to that idea that you have. Yeah, that's a very exciting moment when you come up with an idea and you're like, oh, someday this is going to be so good. Yeah. It is such an electrifying <laughs> feeling. Okay, now I have five years of work in front of me before it gets even remotely performable. Yeah. But to know that, like, oh, this is something that can, you know, that has the potential to be that thing is awesome. That experience is, like, having that idea for me is a high akin to when you get off stage and it's just been one of those shows where everything clicks into place but the key is the follow through because you can have the idea you can have the finished product but getting from one to the next is a lot of a lot of work and time Mm -hmm. how important is collaboration in that process for you um it i wouldn't say it's important at all unless i need it and oftentimes i need it I like to try to do as much by myself as I can, but then I will definitely have people weigh in, especially if it's a time-sensitive thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of the pieces that I consider like my babies, like the pieces in my show that are that really feel original and intrinsic to me as a performer, both presentationally, effect-wise, and with the method, um, those are pieces that I've had people 
give me suggestions and people have weighed in over the years. Like there's a bit in the pickpocket routine that I do that, uh, that Luke Gervais gave like thought of when we're working and living together in Las Vegas, we were roommates for a while and, uh, and we were doing shows together and we did a tour together and I was doing this incredibly obnoxiously complex thing to do a steal of something. Mm -hmm. And he gave me this really simplistic basic idea that he just that just came to him and I was like well that solves that problem and it's been like that ever since mm -hmm. if you have magic friends like if you're listening to this podcast and you love magic and you're trying to get better find your core group of people who you trust one of those people will burn you <laughs> at one point <laughs> but you have to find like you have to find your group and people who are not people who are will say things are good when they're not you have to find a core group of people who are honest and trustworthy so they won't steal your shit. We can swear this, right? <laughs> yeah. So they won't steal your shit. Steal your shit. Who burned you? Uh, so what other questions do you have for me written out on that piece of paper, Elliot? <laughs> I mean, thing, like, look, that, that's the thing is if you're, if you're doing magic and you're putting things out there, people are going to, like, eventually that will just happen to you. It's a sad inevitability. Um... But um, the goal is to, to handle it well. Mm -hmm. I do think, however, that like it's too accepted in magic. People are too will too easily forgive people who take what's not theirs. And I feel like if some of these people who are like publishing tricks without the permission of the real creator, or people who are just jacking someone else's routine and lines and doing it on stage in whatever in the college market or wherever they might be performing, I feel like if some of those people like we found them at the bottom of a flight of stairs, <laughs> this stuff would stop happening as much. Uh -huh. Anyway, it's been great. I gotta leave. <laughs> Which I'm not advocating. I'm a really peaceful person. But, like, there's not enough... There's not enough... I think the people in Magic who are... who really care about Magic and really love it should band together and be a little bit harder on the people who are clearly... clearly um, doing things that are less than savory. Because it's just better for it's just better for everybody. Like you don't want a bunch of acts doing the same routines with the same lines. It makes it not just worse for the creator. It makes it worse for the people who are doing that, because it just homogenizes everyone. And then people who book entertainment see that and they just go, Ugh, "Magic, it's not good." But you know, you look at a Derek Hughes and you say, oh yeah, that guy has an awesome marketable show that doesn't feel like other people's shows. Even though he's doing some, like, he does some classic tricks in his show. Um, it just feels very different mm -hmm. because of who he is and the time he's put in doing it. But doing these, like, doing shows, if you do a lot of shows, you just get better at it. That's the key, is just to be bad. That was one of the best pieces of advice I got early on from a magician named Tim Gabrielson, who lives in the Twin Cities, I believe. And Tim said, find a place to be bad. Find a venue where you can perform and it's okay to be bad. Because if you're performing and you're getting hired to be somewhere you wanna do as good as you can, of course, find a venue where you can go and it doesn't matter if you suck because that gives you license to try new things and to fail and that's how you get better. Can I stop doing jazz hands? My hands are getting very tired. <laughs> very exhausting i can't believe you're the i think you're the first person who brought up finding a place to be bad before me oh really <laughs> yeah <laughs>
because uh, I'm gonna. I was going to ask you. That's one of the things that I have written down. Is where were you bad? Where would you recommend people go and be bad? A lot of open mics, I think. Yeah, is a really good answer to that question. Um, I now. I perform shows in so many different venues, but I do a lot in the college market. That's sort of my main, my main thing. Some corporate and private party and cruise ship and everything too, but a lot of colleges. And I didn't want to get into that market until I really had a show that was very strong. And I saw all of these people going into the college market and being very mediocre. And by the time I got there, I was able to like, yeah, have a great agent, start showcasing immediately and start booking shows and it's because I waited and I did volunteer shows for fundraisers. I did like I organized my own shows when I was in college. I would just do shows when I was in college. I just find a venue on campus that I could get for free because I was in school there and then just invite people and I would just do that whenever I could. There's this weird mindset that I had also (laughs) where it was like magicians want to be paid a lot of money immediately (laughs) yeah right yeah isn't that weird it's the only it's one of the only professions where people like okay i can print my own business cards yeah and start charging a substantial amount of money and start charging almost like equal or even like half the amount of someone who's been doing it for 40 years it's super weird it's so weird it's crazy yeah i mean i i guess i did too but i think my price reflected where i was at i think i was very careful about yeah like letting people know early on hey i'm 15 (laughs) (laughs) the only the only reason why i'm i'm asking for these $50 or $100 is because the jazz hands. Right. Yeah. It's very exhausting. (laughs) And I sweat through my shirt. I have to buy new shirt. I have to buy $50 of new shirts every show. At at Gap Kids. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know why that. I mean, it's because we don't have a place to perform. It's because comedians can go to open mics and they exist in every city and town and magicians don't have that. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's why I think people start doing it. And also, I think young magicians see other magicians and go like, oh, that's a viable career option. Whereas back, I think along, like, back in the day, Mm -hmm. listen to me sounding like an old dude, back in the day, I'm such a curmudgeon, back in the day, there weren't as many venues. It's like you were either doing magic at, like, a birthday party, Mm -hmm. or you were Max Bellini, and there was no (laughs) other options. Yeah. it, I, I think it's also like that. There's so when you're when you're getting into the magic and you hit the point at which, it, hoping of course that you have the self awareness to know you shouldn't be performing yet if you shouldn't be performing it. Um, you get to the point where you go, okay, I'm ready to go out and do this, and you look around at the landscape. And in my case, there was one other magician in town, and he did stock lines and stock tricks for kids' birthday parties at the wellness center. You right. Know, it's like. <clears throat> I had something that I thought was valuable to the community that uh, was, there was no supply for it. I was the only supply and the demand wasn't there, but I could create the demand by letting people know that I existed. Right. And so I was like, oh yeah, okay, I can charge like a reasonable amount of money, but that doesn't make it okay. (laughs) (laughs) There are like several gigs I should not have done for the amount of money that I did because I just wasn't ready. I just didn't, I didn't have the flight time. 
Right. You, know, you I, should offer to go back and do them now that you're better or just send back the money. I should <laughs> Can just you imagine send if they just, just got like... a check? <laughs> I'm sorry, Elliot. <laughs> I mean, I did. It was fine. Yeah, no, but it's it fine. It's a weird thing. I think people's expectations, too, are different. And, like, that's, I think, one of the dangerous things for, for magicians who are coming up is people being like, you're great, when really you're not. Yeah. But, like, you're great means we were fooled. And we don't know any better. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it's, you know, it's good for your self-esteem. It's bad for your development. If you take that compliment and go, oh yeah, I am really good. I can be XXX bad decision, insert Mm -hmm. bad decision here. Yeah. But I mean, we all did it in one form or another. Um, it's just like, it's just a matter of degree. And it's like, how do you make the right decisions at your level? At every step in the way, I would look at someone who is better at me or better at magic than me and be like, how can I, how can I get to where they are? Yeah. Not more successful, mm-hmm. not working more gigs, not making more money, none of that, just better. Like if you get really, really good, then, then you will work. Yeah. It also depends on what you want to do. Like some magicians don't want to perform. They just want to create and publish tricks. And that's totally cool if that's what you're into. Uh, for me, I wanted to, I wanted to do shows. Yeah. It's important, too, when you're starting out that, like, you do watch a bunch of really good performers for a bunch of different reasons. One, you get inspiration, and I'm not just talking about watching other magicians. You get inspiration for how to be on a stage, how mm. to be in front of people. When you see somebody really kill live, it's like, holy shit, that guy was in command of up to maybe a thousand people in at one time and for an hour you know it's like that person's a superhero how do i fake it till i make it you know, yeah like, yeah it's amazing and and when you see that happen like especially early on like people will you'll start to morph into that person that you saw mm-hmm. like everyone has their influences where you were kind of like Early on, like, I when I was 12, I was like, well, I guess I'm Ricky J now. <laughs> guess what? I wasn't Ricky J. But I, I saw him, I saw 52 assistants, and, and it just completely, mm-hmm. that was another one that, like, completely blew my head off because he's so funny. He People don't think of Ricky J as a comedy magician, but that special, that show is hilarious. And so I kind of, like, morphed into him for a moment, and then, of course, you get good and that starts to go away. So very l- luckily for me, that happened really quickly yeah. where I was like, oh, I could, I could sort of go in that direction, not even consciously, but then very lucky for me, I consciously realized, oh yeah, that's not what you do. And I pulled away. Mm-hmm. But some people, you know, are, will be, um, Dave, will, will try to be David Copperfield for their entire lives mm-hmm. or will try to be Chris Angel or insert other magic celebrity or even comedian. Comedians do this too. Mm-hmm. Like Pete Holmes, who we both really love, amazing stand-up comedian, will talk about how early on he was totally Brian Regan. Yeah. And it's hard not to be. Brian Regan is like the funniest person on the planet. Yeah. But like the key is to recognize that mm-hmm. and be like, oh, okay, just make sure I'm not using any of their lines, using yeah. their intonation. What can I do to not be that person? Yeah. I, that's that's what I always think about, and I always lift Pete's line, which is you have to try on your influences yeah. when you're starting out, because it is it is very important. I mean, like I know that when I started busking, I'd never done that, I'd never seen anybody do it uh, for real except online, and so I was Gazzo the first. Yeah, you, know, you were Gazzo with hair. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
Uh, I I didn't do the accent, but I was I was mean to people. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone's like, "This guy's a dick. This doesn't feel right at all." It was a small town. They threw rocks at my house. It's Louisiana too. That's a mob. I know there were crosses burning. Damn, um, very dangerous. But I'm not even Jewish. Yeah, me neither. It's just all an act. I needed a thing to talk about, so I made it up. Yeah. That's funny. Oh, that's another thing in magic, though, is it's like inventing a perspective. Oh, yeah. Right? It's okay. Authenticity is so important. Uh, yeah. Which is why I quit being Gaza because I was like, I'm not a mean dude. It's fun to make fun of these people, but it's not who I am. Yeah, totally. And like, you, you have to have that, you have to have a, a, an honest point of view, which oftentimes is not what amateur magicians are up to. Well, also, when you're like 14 years old, you don't really have a point of view. You're still yeah. figuring everything out. But now, now that I'm. I'm 32 years old. The very best parts of my show are stories from my life, mm-hmm. are real things that happened to me. Mm-hmm. Those are the parts that people people will walk away and they will talk about a couple of effects as like the uh, the serial number thing you do blow like kills me. Mm-hmm. Like that fools everybody, and people walk away like talking about it. But other than that and a few other routines, people like will tell stories back to me from the show, and mm-hmm. they're things that really happened to me. So it takes time to develop, but like, you know, keep a notebook and write down things that happen to you that are funny or interesting or things that happen in your life that make you laugh and keep those notes and then go back and reread those and start like writing them down in different ways. See if you can expand on what's funny about them. See if you can articulate on paper what made you feel joy in the moment, Mm -hmm. but articulate it in a way that's bigger and longer and then pretty soon you have like things that you can try on stage and maybe those will become jokes someday. Where do you get your inspirations for bits and routines and, and just things that happen to you in life or stories or it happens, you know, what's, the, what's the deal? Well, it happens differently. Like sometimes for me, a thing will happen in my life and I'll be like, that has to be a thing that happens on stage. <laughs> like something will happen like, oh, that has to be shared because it's so insane or it's so funny. Do you have an example? Just. Mexico. I told I told my girlfriend I wasn't gonna tell this story. Maybe th- this is a good example though. Okay, I'm gonna tell this story. Um, Thank you, no one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, jazz hands. <laughs> um, this is so. This is not fully crafted. I have done it on stage, and but I can't. There's not a lot of venues I can do this in for obvious reasons. Well, this, is this, this is one. This is totally. A thing I can talk about. So I did a magic convention in Mexico, and it was me and Jimmy Fingers, who's a great magician. If you guys don't know who Jimmy Fingers is, he does publish some stuff. He's very clever. Buy what he sells. He's very, very smart. And he's like a guy who can actually perform. So me and Jimmy were asked to go represent America in Mexico <laughs> at this convention. So it was all Mexican magicians, but we were the two like sort of guys who were flown in for this thing. Mm-hmm. And the convention's now doing like doing amazing things. Like it's it's like taken off. But this was like bare bones right when it started. I think this was the second year. So anyway, we go out, we go out to Mexico and uh, we do our shows and both of us kill and we do our lectures and people love us and we're like the celebrities of the convention. And remember, I don't do a lot in the magic world now. So I'm just like, oh, this is this is fun. All these young magicians, you know, the demographics, mostly like 14 to 19 year old kids who are into magic mm-hmm. like you and I were. Yeah. 
and adults too, but everyone's, you know, like following us around. Well, before I leave, my girlfriend at the time had bought me a pair of boxer shorts that had the Jack of Clubs on them. Mm-hmm. All over, printed all over, just a bunch of Jack of Clubs. She saw them in Urban Outfitters or whatever, and she thought they were funny. She gave them to me. Well, it's the last day of the convention. I realize that I'm wearing these boxers. So I think, oh, this is right before I go. Here's what I'm going to do. I'll just force the Jack of Clubs on someone. I'll pull down my pants. That'll be the revelation. Mm-hmm. And it will be hilarious. Mm-hmm. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> So it's the last day of the convention. I'm like about to fly out. Everyone, hey, I'm going to do one more thing. And a big crowd gathers. And it's all these kids. And like they've all brought their like girlfriends too. They're like, you know, all these like 16 year old kids who are all around me. So I, I, I do a psychological, my plan is to do a psychological force. And if it doesn't work, to do a different routine and then to do a real force. Well, the psychological force hits, which is awesome. So this guy just thinks he thinks of the Jack of Clubs. So I'm like, this is going to be amazing. So I'm like, look, you had a free choice. You could have thought of any playing card. You thought of the Jack of Clubs, right? And everyone's followed me around. I mean, it's a big crowd of people. I'm like the Pied Piper for Mexican children. There's just <laughs> a group of people around me. <laughs> so it's totally up to you, Jack of Clubs. And in a moment of adrenaline and excitement, I just yanked down my pants and I point at my boxers and I scream, what do you think of that? (laughs) And everyone is silent. And I realize it feels drafty. And I realize that I've fallen out of the the slit in the front of the boxers. Mm -hmm. So to this group of people, (laughs) everybody gather around. I've yanked down my pants, pulled out my dick, and screamed, what do you think of that? While pointing to it. Because the Jack of Clubs boxers were there, but like when you pull out your dick, no one looks at the card. <laughs> That's just one thing that I've I mean, learned. It kind of looks like a Jack of Clubs. It does. I, it does. I should get that looked at. <laughs> Why are there three clubs? Uh, so yeah, that happens. Everyone is just like silent, and I like tuck myself back in. People see the boxers, so people are reacting for the wrong reasons and the right reasons because something amazing has happened. But it's not how I wanted to leave the convention, so I'm pulling up my pants. And then this, like, 16-year-old girl who's at the convention, like, walks over and tries to write her phone number down on my arm with a Sharpie. And then I flew back to America. (laughs) (laughs) So that's a thing that happened to me. And although it's not in my show, it will someday be in my show. And it will probably... This show will probably then end with me yanking down my pants. With your dick out. With my dick out, naturally. Obviously. Yeah. For cruise ships. <laughs> <laughs> he swore. He saw, oh my, he said, oh my God. And is that his penis? <laughs> uh, wait, guys, come back. Come back. <laughs> um, um, so, yeah, so that's the thing that happened to me. Not a, the story isn't crafted. I've only, like, done it on stage a few times. But that's an example of something that there's inherent comedy to it. Mm-hmm. It's absurd. It's ridiculous. And it's like a magic trick could totally be done with that as a story. I haven't put all the time and the work in, but that's an example of something that's just in my notes as here's a funny thing that I can only do and not a lot of venues that I perform at. <laughs> but, but it's a thing that happened for my life. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. It's really funny. Yeah, the the and then the one in my show that's like the central piece of my main show in almost any venue I perform at is a story. I'm not going to tell it here. Come see me do a show. 
Um, but it's a story about how I almost caused the evacuation of four Las Vegas casinos. Great. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a true story. It was when I was working on Chris Angel's show mm-hmm. as a consultant for a couple of seasons. Mm-hmm. I was living in a hotel and there was a huge misunderstanding. And now it's like the centerpiece of my show. That's great. Yeah. You got to recycle those life stories. Oh my God. Turn them into something magical. It's so important. It's so important because then it's not built in sand. If you write like presentation for a trick and it's just based on nothing, then it feels like it's nothing. Mm -hmm. But if it's based on you or based on something that's happening that you care about, then suddenly there's life in it. Mm -hmm. How do you structure your show? Or let's say this. Give examples from your show about how someone should go about structuring a thing that they've never done before. Sure. Well, I like callbacks a lot. There's callbacks in every show I do, every set I do, whether I'm doing five minutes or an hour and a half show. My my main show, if I'm going to do like an hour long show and it's my baby, there's like four callbacks that happen um, that are from stories and comedy and tricks. So there's like magical call- callbacks and comedy callbacks in there. So that's that's important to me because I like the way those feel. Mm-hmm. Um, opening is an interesting conversation because some people will say like, open strong with an effect right off the bat. And that, grab- re- that really like grabs people's attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is good and it isn't. So it depends on what venue you're working. Sometimes if I'm doing a college show, mm-hmm. I walk out and I just do stand-up comedy for five minutes before I do any tricks. Mm-hmm. And I love that feel because people are like, oh, this guy's funny. And wait, what is happening? I thought this was a magic show. Like, mm-hmm. what is even going on? And so then by the time a trick happens, they're so excited. Yeah. And, it's, and it catches them off guard, too, because it's in the context of, it's in the context of jokes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but there's also some times where I plan on doing that and I go out on stage and I can just tell by the vibe of the room, oh, I have to do something magical right away. Otherwise, no one's going to pay attention. Mm-hmm. Because if you know anything about college shows, you know that you might come out and be performing in like a beautiful theater with 500 kids who are so excited to see you and standing room only. Or you might be in a cafeteria next to a smoothie machine and every time you talk it turns on (laughs) and there's and there's like 10 people there who are like doing homework that can happen not that often but it totally still happens Mm -hmm. and it's like i can't in that environment i'm gonna come out and i'm going to do a mad first of all i'm just gonna attack people Mm -hmm. like i'm gonna be really 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 in people's faces Mm mm-hmm um, but also making fun of the situation. Yeah. You have to get them engaged and you have to show them that you're aware of what's happening around you. Totally. Totally. So yeah. So when it comes to structuring and opening different things work for different people. Um, I, I would prefer to have the first magic trick happen two minutes in, but I also feel confident coming out and being like, getting their attention, getting people interested, and laughing right away. And if you don't feel confident with that, then probably starting with something that's fast and flashy mm-hmm. might be good for you. People's attention spans are getting shorter, unfortunately, which is not good for magic, and it's horrible for mentalism. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, you, you don't have to hit them with something flashy if you're interesting and funny, but sometimes being flashy as you're learning to be better at presenting things is good. 
So yeah, so openings are important. Um, I think planting seeds early on are important for what will happen later. Mm -hmm. um, I think any like magician-y patter that sounds like something another magician's head, like I feel like people smell that really early on. Like what do you mean? What's an example? Oh my god, well, what's a good example? I was in Panama. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anything that starts with I was in Panama. I was traveling through the Orient. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Anything that's not real, any, anything that smells the bullshit, like anything that sets off people's bullshit detectors right off the bat, like you're going to lose people. And people have much more adept bullshit detectors now than ever. Absolutely. Before. Yeah. Look at our current president. God. I mean, there's, there's like, it's so easy to, for a lot of people to say like, oh, this feels wrong. They might not say this guy's lying, mm -hmm. but it just feels... Uh, we're watching and people's eyes glaze over. It's like if you turn on it's like if you want to watch a movie or you're on Netflix or Hulu or whatever thing and you put on a thing and like within the first minute or so your eyes glaze over and you know that you're either going to change it or start doing something else and watching it as background and not actually pay attention to it mm -hmm. because it feels disingenuous. That's why I think it's so important to be true to yourself because if you're not if you're doing other people's shit not only is it stealing, but also for you, it just feels disingenuous. Yeah. And people can smell that from a mile away. Mm -hmm. All right. Structuring a show. That was your question. Um, so, yeah, you were talking about laying seeds and not doing things that feel wrong. Yeah. Hills and valleys are important. Like, you don't want to be all on one note. Like, you don't want to be... Fa if you're a fast-talking person, you want to have moments where things slow down. If you perform to music... For a lot of routines, it's good to have speaking pieces. I mean, I turn off if I'm seeing someone who's just performing to music unless they're insanely good. Mm -hmm. um, and likewise, if you are a talking performer, if you have like, if you do have like a manip piece that's really great, like, you know, you could open with it, but also maybe you start by performing and talking to them and then 15 minutes in, they take a break from hearing your voice and see something really pretty. Yeah. So, um, you know. Think about what your powers are. That's an important idea. That's like, I did not come up with that. I think I learned that idea from Michael Weber, which is just like, what, you know, if you have magic powers, what are they? What are you doing? Not that people will necessarily believe that you have magic powers, but can you do anything? Or can you, like, for instance, here's a perfect example. There are a bunch of pieces in my show that are coincidence-based pieces mm -hmm. where everything just falls into place. And really, they're predictions. Mm -hmm. But I don't perform them as if I'm predicting the future because I can't predict the future. And I don't expect anyone to believe that Jewish Harry Potter from Wisconsin <laughs> can predict the future. But these impossible coincidences that fall into place... That feels much more like Jewish Harry Potter. It totally does. <laughs> well, it, when when you see me perform, it feels like it fits these these things that are happening, um, as opposed to like I wrote down this thing over here that says uh, this thing. So um, that <laughs> was Jack and Clubs. What do you think of that? <laughs> My dick is on the table, by the way. That's how I've been able to do jazz hands and drink coffee at the same time. <laughs> We solved the mystery. The dick is lifting the it's coffee. Lifting the coffee. <laughs> Which is unnecessary, because I just said there was a straw about 20 minutes ago. <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, so yeah, what powers, what powers do you have? And, like, my... Early on, I was kind of trying to figure out who I was, and sneakiness made sense. 
because I was doing these like pickpocketing style routines. Jewish Harry Potter. Jewish Harry Potter. I was loading a lot of uh, loading a lot of like I was doing a lot of object to impossible location. Mm-hmm. And oh, if that person's really sneaky, you can explain that away with he's really sneaky. So all of these like thing like the character choice that I came up with when I needed it was Puck from a Midsummer Night's Dream. That's who I was. That's mm-hmm. who I was like modeling myself off of a modern version of Puck, this mischievous little elf who's doing these, who's orchestrating all of these things. And I don't think about that example now. In fact, this is the first time I've thought about that in probably eight or nine years. Wow. But that kind of guided me for a while as mm-hmm. like a character choice. But eventually you get good and you don't need to worry about that stuff. You can just hopefully just be you. Structuring show. What else? Um, closing strong. I hate people who do the standing o- the begging for standing ovation things like the bits that are designed to try to make people stand up some people love them and i understand why they do them but they make me want to shoot myself in the head and there's all of this like theory on it where like if you carry your body in certain ways and you know you can do all of these different things that will maybe increase your chances and maybe that stuff's okay it's still weird to me but there, there's a singer in vegas and she marketed herself as like a standing ovation every night and what she used to do is she would do her show people would applaud sitting down mm-hmm. she would walk off stage the house lights would come up people would start standing up to leave hit the sound man hits the applause button sound effect she comes back out as everyone else is standing up to leave and people are like i guess okay i guess we're clapping again so everyone was standing up to leave she forced them to clap she came out and it was just this like really fake looking thing Mm -hmm. but a standing ovation every night and i hate that stuff so just like just leave having them like you yeah do you hate that stuff because of vegas I don't think so. I think I hate that stuff more because of the college and cruise ship market, to be oh, honest okay. with you. <laughs> Truthfully. Yeah. I, I never, I've never liked those, the applause pose. Oh, like yeah. The, just the whole, it's so, it's so pandery. Like, you can't, you can't take yourself seriously mm-hmm. if you literally wink at the audience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> like, like, it's just, it's, it's... I I don't understand it. I understand it because people want to be liked and they want people to like them, but that's not how you make people like you. It's how you make people look to you like they like you, but they don't. And and look, it works for some people and some people doesn't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I don't know. I've heard people who are good professional magicians talk about this stuff. Okay. Um but I don't like it. It turns me off. It feels disingenuous. I started my show. Here's a line that I use to open as with. an audience member or as a performer. Uh, well, it's it's impossible for me to split them. I feel like from a performer, I see right through it. I feel like a, as an audience member, they either see right through it or they can sense it. Yeah. The same thing as when someone's being disingenuous. You just mm-hmm. feel like it's bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, I started my show. I, this is not my usual opening line. My opening lines change all the time. But uh, for, a, for a bit, I had this bit where 
I would come out on stage and I'd go, how are you guys doing tonight? And they'd clap. And I'd say, come on, make some noise. How are you guys doing tonight? And they'd clap more. I'd be like, come on, you can do better than that. Are you having a good time? So f-? And they would clap because entertainers will do this when they first come out yeah. once or twice. Yes. And I hate it. So I'd be like, no, come on, this side of the room, right side of the room, make some noise if you're ready to have a good... And then the right side, I'd be like, no, left side of the room, you can do better than that. And, and then I'd just be like, Gu- guys, I'm so sorry. Fuck that. I'm so sorry. That is a bullshit entertainer technique to get the energy up in the room. And I hate it. And it's disingenuous. I, and I, I feel bad about myself. I'm embarrassed that I even did that to you. I'm so sorry. Let's get right to the magic. Does that sound good? How about that? Should we get right to the magic? Does that sound good? Come on, make some noise if you want to hear some <laughs> And people would start applauding because they, and then they're like, oh shit. He like, then they realize what's happening. You're self-aware about the whole thing. Absolutely. And it gave me a moment where I could point out to them like, oh, this is a trope Mm -hmm. in live performance. Mm -hmm. This is why I hate it. Mm -hmm. This is why I'm, I'm not into it. Let's do, still, <laughs> let's do it again. Let's do it again. And then they come along for the ride, not realizing that that's what's happening. And then yeah. they're like, "Oh shit, he got us!" Yeah. And now I'm now now I'm off to the races. Yeah, yeah. That's super fun. It's super fun, and it came from I was doing a NACA showcase, yeah. which in the college market, if you want to perform at colleges, you uh, send obscene amounts of money to this organization called the National Association for Campus Activities. And if you're lucky, you get chosen to perform in front of potential buyers and students who can hire you to perform at their school. And a uh, performer who will go nameless, but I will say he won America's Got Talent, and he's not Matt Franco. He's not a magician. Uh, a guy who won America's Got Talent was there as a special appearance, mm-hmm. and he came out and he did that. Mm-hmm. He did the make some noise, now this side of the room, now that side of the room. And I just sat there in my chair, just hating every second of it, thinking this is so bad. Mm-hmm. Now listen... The audience did, it did get the audience revved up and it did increase the energy in the room. And he had a better set with people who are more receptive for the rest of the performance because he did it. Mm -hmm. That's why people do that stuff because it works. But I sat there in the audience hating every second of it. And that's where that bit came from is me making fun of people who do that. Did you do it in the same show? I did. That would have been amazing. That would have been such a bold move. That's what I was wanting the story to be. And then I went up immediately after the exact same thing. (laughs) And also did ventriloquism. Oh, I've said too much. Um, Uh Uh-oh. But yeah, like, I I understand why people do stuff like that. It works. But you have to, like, I have to look at myself in the mirror every morning and doing stuff like that bugs me. Yeah. And that's why I don't do it. And I understand why people make those decisions because sometimes you need a little boost. Um, But if you're already an established performer and you are somewhat famous, why, 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 why do that? Yeah. Uh, I think a good rule for performing, for choosing your gigs for life is don't do anything that makes you cringe. Just yeah be better (laughs) totally and here's a great way to do it here's the here's i found the ultimate the ultimate way to like the to filter yourself as you're doing bits and creating stuff think of the most well-respected magician who is your personal hero the people who you look up to and think to yourself if i was doing a show and that person was in the audience would i want to do this bit would i want to do this trick would i want to tell this joke would i want to anything and that right away cancels out so much 
of the things that you shouldn't be doing. Yeah. The hack jokes, the hack tricks, performing things exactly as other people perform them. Mm -hmm. Like, I always think to myself, if David Williamson and Michael Weber were sitting in the audience, would I want to do that joke? Or would I want to do this trick? If the answer is no, then I probably shouldn't be doing it. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. There's also a Dimitri Martin idea that I heard him say in an interview. Dimitri Martin, great stand-up comedian. If you don't know him, look him up. He uh, said, always do jazz hands. He says, always do jazz hands and <laughs> hold coffee with your penis. It was weird. <laughs> no idea why he Even said that. Even though there's already a straw. Um, we're still doing that. We're still, we're doing, still doing that doing bit. <laughs> Elliot's talking to my girlfriend, who totally exists. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, Dimitri Martin quote. And he said, everything you do has to pass the who gives a shit test, which is so good. And it's so cutthroat because we're obsessed with the things that we do and the magic that we have spent all this time working on and mastering. Um, but who gives a shit? Like, maybe, it, maybe if it fools people, that's enough for you. That's not enough for me. So everything has to pass the why should people care test. Which is really, really hard. Mm -hmm. But it's a good filter to run things through. Mm -hmm. I only brought it up because I said the, what if your hero was in the audience? Would you do that bit? Those are two filters that I use when I'm like thinking about stuff. But also, and I need to put this in, early on you can't be too hard on yourself with a bit. Like there's certain things that I've come up with that if I ran through those tests, they would fail and I would throw them on the shelf and never do them again. Like I put that idea away or I'd put it to bed. There are plenty of things that start out like that, but then grow into things that I would be very, very excited to show David Williamson. Yeah. Well, and there's a, that's also, there's a difference between like, it doesn't matter how bad something is if it's original and you think it has potential. It just needs to yeah. be worked out. Mm -hmm. And those pros, those guys that you look up to, know that and will see like, oh, I get it. Yeah. It didn't work. The room hated it. Yeah. It was awful. But I get it. Yeah. But and there's something there. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. fucking lutely And guess what? If it's, if it's just like a stock trick with stock lines, it's never going to be that. Mm -hmm. It's just not. Yeah. Take out all those stock lines. Maybe the trick, maybe you can make the trick into something original. That's very possible. But if it's like, if you're saying lines that you've heard another magician say, or you're saying things that sound very close mm -hmm. to what another magician have said, you're going down the wrong path. Mm -hmm. Try to scrap all that things, uh, uh, like all that stuff. Yeah. Um, because that's, that's something that will not lead you in the right direction. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, you can do a trick and tell jokes and have them not be funny and have the trick be awkward and bad in front of an audience. But if there are original ideas to it, just keep, mm -hmm. just keep working it out. Yeah. If you're not, because I, I was, I, when I was performing, I only performed on a stage a few times. I was mostly a close-up guy and I was mostly an amateur close-up guy. I wasn't really gigging too much, but I noticed in myself, and I've noticed a lot since I stopped performing and now just watch a lot of magic as part of my job. The magicians narrate what they're doing. It's like they're outside of it and they're narrating. And every question they ask a spectator is, would you mind? Would you please? Mm -hmm. um, here's, here's an idea. When you're putting together a routine or you're performing or you're going to be performing something that you do, you do a trick. Film yourself doing it as if you're doing it for a person and then watch it back and fix not the move. I mean, of course, do that as part of fixing the method. But 
listen to yourself talk it out. Yeah. And go, ooh, no. No, no, no. Okay, well, here's what I need to do there. Here's what I need to do there. Here's what I should say here. Here's what I should say here. And that's like, that has, that's not even about the comedy. That's just about not narrating magic. And I think, I think this is one of the reasons why people do that is that that's how you learn magic. Like, it doesn't matter if you're reading it or you're watching a tutorial. When you're learning magic, you're going, okay, well, this is, it says now take the card and place it into the center of the pack, right? Yeah. And so you, and they have to do that. You have the to do that. has to put the card back or you don't have the trick. Exactly. But you read that as, okay, now say, take the card and put it into the center of the pack, right? right? It's like, and, and even more so when you're watching a video of somebody explaining it, it's like, okay, then you're going to put the card back into the center of the deck. And yeah. so when you're performing it, you're basically performing the explanation of it, but you're not revealing the method. Yeah. And so, like, just be conscious of that stuff and aware of that. How, how is it that you, how do you write what you're going to say and then put it on stage and kind of make everything fit together? First of all, before I answer that, very good advice, Elliot. I think that's awesome. And a thing that I do is I audio record all of my shows. I don't always listen to it. I should listen to them more. But I audio record all of them. And I listen to them when I can. Because if you watch yourself on video... You're going to get distracted by the magic and all of these other things. But if you're just listen, listening to it, if you're saying too much procedure, if there's too much dead time, if there's too much time without a laugh, you'll feel it. Mm -hmm. And it's awful. And that's a great way to catch it. Um, and now to answer the question that you asked, which I'd love for you to rephrase for <laughs> the viewers, because I totally remember what it was, but I want everyone else to. Well, how do you put, how do you write a script ah, yes. and put it together with the movement? Yeah, well, uh, it depends. Sometimes I will have an idea for like an opening line or for a premise. And so I'll, I'll make bullet points about the important things that I want to get across. Um, here's one that I did for a classic routine that uh, I remember jamming on this back when I lived in Vegas with Luke Germay. And we were talking about opening lines. And the opening line became for this routine, I've never paid for a drink in my life. Not once. And I drink. And it's an interesting line. It's a weird... Like, you hear that and you're like, huh. Because if you drink, if you do go out to bars, you're like, wait a second. It has something... It has some sort of intention-grabbing quality to it. So I knew that that was just like a jumping-off point. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I'll start things with just these basic ideas... And I'll try them out, and then I'll audio record the show, and then I'll riff on it and see where it goes. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, when you're riffing, at least for me, I find that if I'm trying something new, and it doesn't have good jokes in it yet, when I'm trying it on stage, a couple good jokes will happen, or at least decent beginnings of jokes, because it's so awkward not having them. Yeah. So that, that kind of works for me to start things off. Other times, they'll, I'll, just, I'll think of a joke. Mm-hmm. And I'll write it in my notebook and I'll try it or I'll tweet it and see if other people think it's funny and mm -hmm. like try bits and slowly work the joke in. And then contextually it will make sense in something yeah. like there's a piece I'm working on about our current administration and I have, you know, a, a bunch of different jokes that I've written about insane things that have happened in our country over the last year or so. And all of them would work in the context of the routine in one way or another because they're all about that subject. Mm -hmm. So I think taking already existing ideas that work or are starting to work, 
and putting them together in a context and then putting it on its feet and then recording and then seeing what else comes is a really good way to do that. Can you get funny? No. I don't mean purchase it. I mean, like, if you're not funny, is that even a thing you should strive to be? I kind of think no. Why? Well, I'm not saying I disagree. Hard. I just... Yeah. It's really hard to say. I think that I am Time. naturally... <laughs> nice. Very good. <laughs> I think that I'm naturally better at magic than better at than I am at comedy. I think I have always been able to make people laugh, but not necessarily write jokes and do them on stage and make them good. So magic came to me more naturally and comedy takes more work mm-hmm. for me. So I know that about myself and just know that it's going to take more work and more time. If you're not funny and if you're not the type of person who make your friends laugh or strangers laugh even better and not with hack stock magician lines, but like you say something genuinely original in the moment mm-hmm. and people laugh. If that doesn't happen to you, there's nothing wrong with that. Some mm-hmm. people naturally are better than that um, or better at doing that. And some people aren't, if that's not a thing that you do or like doing, then maybe it's not the right direction for you because maybe it's being disingenuous to who you are. And, and then maybe you should look at other ways to perform magic. Like, you don't have to be a comedy magician. In fact, a lot of people shouldn't be who label themselves comedy magicians. Mm-hmm. But if you do make people laugh, just out of nowhere, with not pre-written lines, and it really is organic, then maybe that's a good direction for you. Ask your friends, ask your most honest friends what are things about you, or have them submit them anonymously <laughs> so you can like find out how the world sees you jewish harry potter jewish harry potter <laughs> that's so funny that was an ad lib on stage that i did during a show and it killed and it made me go like oh i could probably use this again and mm-hmm. i do occasionally but it's not a line i'm in love with it's not particularly clever um but i was doing this show on stage on the cruise ship which was not my show. Mm -hmm. Uh, Princess Cruises bought the rights to do the voice on the ship (laughs) as an activity. Like they have the spinning chairs and everything. Oh my God, it's amazing. It's called the voice of the ocean. And they, (laughs) oh yeah, I know, I know. And they paid some obscene amount of money to contract this show. And so on the last night of the cruise on certain ships, they do this show. And then I, they always wire me in to be one of the, one of the judges because they want me to riff and make jokes and Mm -hmm. make it entertaining. Otherwise it's a karaoke competition, (laughs) but I came out and the cruise director who I don't think is a natural born performer, the cruise director used my line, used the Jewish Harry Potter line. And I was like, I called him out on stage. I was like, did you just use my line against me on stage? And he was like, uh, 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 got all flustery. It was really ridiculous. (laughs) That's amazing. I don't go by the Jewish Harry Potter. It was just an ad lib. Oh, I've said okay. it. Well, it's on your business card. So. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> as well as a picture of me doing jazz hands. <laughs> and then a cutout of my penis. It's a weird <laughs> business card. I got it all from Joel Bauer. <laughs> Does your business card suck? No, but I'd like someone to suck it. Okay, Ben Seidman, I'm leaving. Thank, Thank you very much. Okay. Uh, we'll be right back. Uh, what? <laughs> what? How are you doing on time? It is 12... 12- 35. I'm fine. I can good? I can leave if that's you wanting to kick me out. It is I can not. Leave. It's not because I, I know that you said one. So I just want to. I think I have. 
I desperately need a haircut because I've been on tour for six weeks. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I have a haircut at um, at three. And what time is it now? Uh, 12.30. Oh, yeah, we're fine. Okay, cool. I mean, let's not talk that long. Otherwise... We won't go that long, but I just, I didn't know if I needed to start wrapping Oh, you're fine. Okay, What's cool. going to happen is Elliot is going to cut my hair on mic. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean... <laughs> It would be a first. You go to a drawer, you pull out, like, Dan and Dave branded scissors. <laughs> Soon. Yeah. I believe it. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, cool. Uh, what was it like What was it like working in Vegas and doing close-up at casinos and the whole thing? Vegas was amazing. I mean, I went out to Vegas because I wanted to get better at magic. Mm-hmm. And I finished my degree there. I had one more year of school there. There's this national student exchange program where it's like studying abroad, but with other campuses in the US. And I wrote this long, like this long application letter saying why Vegas was the only place I could be to get the education I needed for my future. Mm -hmm. And there's one spot open in Vegas and like a thousand applicants and I got it Mm -hmm. because my letter was really good, I think. And I got lucky, combination of those two. So I went out to Vegas and I just wanted to learn about like learn about performing magic professionally was the side note what i really wanted to do was just get better Mm -hmm. and i found myself being surrounded by all these really these people who i had read about you know like i walked into boomers which is the the magic meeting that gary darwin does on wednesday night in las vegas and i walked in and at a table was like bob kohler paul harris michael close and alan ackerman and I like, I just about shit my pants because <laughs> these are guys whose books I read and DVDs I watched, or no, I should say tapes, whose tapes I watched, mm-hmm. whose VHSs I watched. And I, you know, I was like, oh my God. So I was suddenly surrounded by all these people who are so knowledgeable about magic and it sort of forced me to be better. And I remember it was very interesting little antidote. I walked up to that table and I introduced myself and said that I was a young magician. I had just moved to Las Vegas to get better. And I said, do any of you have any advice for me to these like four heavy hitters in the magic world? And Bob Kohler looks at me and he goes, don't get into magic. <laughs> He's like, it's not a good profession. You shouldn't do it. Yeah. But he didn't say it as a joke. He said it genuinely. He's yeah, like, yeah. it's a really, it's most people don't make it. It's a hard way to make a living. You shouldn't do it. And, and I remember hearing that and being like, oh, I respect this guy so much, but I'm going to ignore all of that advice. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of sometimes will give that advice to young magicians is I'll say, don't do it because it's true. It is really hard and you have to work your ass off and most people won't make it. Yeah. At least doing it professionally. Well, people that are on the fence about it, you give them that advice. It's the right advice. People yeah. that know they want to do it and aren't going to stop. You give them that advice and they go, I respect that. I'm right. still going to do it. Exactly. Yeah. Because anyone who really is going to do it is going to hear that and just be like, no. And is going to hear it and be like, I get it. Right. Because you should know what you're signing up for. Because if you want to try to make a lot of money, magic's not a good way to do it. If you want to try to get famous, magic is not a good way to do it. Yeah. Um, It's just like you have so many more other options that are better and smarter. But if you want to do magic to make a lot of money or to get famous, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Because fuck you. That's not what it's all about. What's it about? It's about giving people that feeling that we first had when we first saw magic. Mm Mm-hmm. That's what it is. It's chasing that high that we first have that we love so much. It's trying to give that to other people. Because why would any of us be doing this without that? Mm -hmm. And that's a thing that I have to remind myself when I'm doing a tour and I've only slept for 
two to three hours a night for a week mm-hmm. and I'm starting to hallucinate as I'm driving <laughs> my rental car through the middle of nowhere. <laughs> I have to remind myself that. That's another great piece of advice. Lance Burton said to, uh, said to me and Luke, he said, be careful what you wish for. Lance Burton, one of the most successful and famous magicians in the history of our modern time conjuring, famously headlined Las Vegas for however many years, living the dream. Mm-hmm. Be careful what you wish for. Yeah. It's a lot of work, but it's cool. You get to do magic. I mean, do magic tricks for people and, you know, tell stories about my penis. It's great. <laughs> hey, that wouldn't happen if you weren't a magic. I so mean, it, it would, but like, I would be <laughs> completely ostracized <laughs> to all of society. <laughs> <laughs> Who's that weird homeless guy who wanders around <laughs> talking about his penis? Oh, uh, sometimes does a card trick. Vegas was fun. And, um,. There's too many magicians in Las Vegas, just like Los Angeles, way too many magicians to compete. So, like, you could, you know, let's say there's a corporate event, and it's a Fortune 500 500 company, and their entertainment budget is 20 grand, and they're looking for a magician, and they happen to call you up, and you say, just, let's just say you say you'll do it for $30. Someone else will say they'll do it for 20. Mm -hmm. That's... That's Las Vegas. So you really have to be, you have to, you have to establish yourself as someone who's different and good. Otherwise you just won't get gigs. When I first went out there, uh, I, I met Apollo, Apollo Robbins, who's amazing and fantastic. And I asked him if I could pick his brain and he very kindly got coffee with me and talked to me about like the industry and about magic. And he explained to me the different levels of who you are as a performer, whether if you have a show, if you have an act, how much time you have. But if you're a personality, which is at the very top, Mm -hmm. then people aren't hiring you because they want a magician. They're hiring you because you are... The story. Yes. People don't hire Penn & Teller to do corporate events because they're magicians. They're not looking for a magician. They see Penn & Teller and they say, okay, we've got 200 grand to burn for this event. Let's give 100 grand to Penn & Teller and get them... And then we'll spend the rest on whatever. I don't know how much Penn and Teller costs to hire them out, but um, but that I mean, you want to see Penn and Teller because they're Penn and Teller, yeah. not because you're like I want to see a magic show. Yeah. So that was sort of an influential thing for me too, thinking about that and what it means and how you have to you have to have something to give as a person, like you have to be uh, a person who uh, your potential clients want to hire because of who you are. And what you do, not mm-hmm. just a magician. Yeah. Um, Vegas was amazing, though. I mean, I I came up with this trick that is still to this day one of the centerpieces of my show. Mm-hmm. It's a pickpocketing routine where I steal someone's money and I safety pin it to the back of their shirt without them feeling me do it. Mm-hmm. And I came up with that trick. And uh, through a weird series of events, someone tried to steal it from me and claim that it was theirs. And the process of me selling it to Chris Angel... I was introduced to Chris, who was looking for material for his third season of Mind Freak, and um, it was just this whole crazy thing, which I won't go into, even though it's a, it's an insane story, but it's too insane to tell here. But I had developed this trick and showed it to Chris, and he bought it, and that was my first connection with him, was him buying the rights to perform this trick. And then um, I in my senior year, went to see my advisor, 
because I was doing my last year of college at UNLV in Las Vegas. And I said, what do I have left? And they said, well, you have one upper level theater class left. I majored in theater, have a comprehensive degree in theater, which is the major and minor, all theater. And they said, well, this could be an upper level directing class or an upper level acting class, or it could be an internship. And they kept talking, but I didn't hear anything else because I immediately went internship and I called up Chris Mm -hmm. and I said, hey man, do you want me to consult for free for Mind Freak? All you have to do is sign a piece of paper. And he was like, uh, yeah, of course. And so that was how I like worked my way in. Mm -hmm. I went in as getting school credit to consult for Chris. And then I proved myself Mm -hmm. as being someone who is useful to them and creative. And so when season four came along and they were looking to hire their crew, Chris and Banachek, who was in charge of the magic team at that time, were like, oh yeah, Ben, let's get him. And so that's how I, that's how I got the job working full time mm-hmm. with them, which I did for a long time, which was an interesting experience. Being around Chris Angel really helped my magic get better because he and I think very differently about a lot of things in magic and in life. And it helped me formulate what I like about magic and what I never want to do or be in magic. Mm-hmm. Hugely important. Yes, definitely. What are some common misconceptions people have about TV magic? Magicians and lay people. Hmm. Well, TV magic is so broad because people have different levels of integrity when it comes to TV magic. Mm-hmm. So... It's easier to concentrate on a specific performer. Um, I don't like TV magic where all of the methods are stooges or camera edits or whatever they might be. Because then you're not really even a magician. You're just like, what are you even doing? Um, However, I understand that when you watch magic through a camera lens, misdirection is different than live. Mm-hmm. especially now that people will just rewind and rewatch things over and over and over again until they catch something. Mm-hmm. So I don't think using the camera to move in the same way that an audience's eyes move in a live situation and framing something out, I don't think that's like cheating mm-hmm. necessarily. But also if that's your only method for everything you do, that's not good either. Yeah. Um, so I think that like, uh, common misconceptions about TV magic is that it's all camera tricks. It's usually not all camera tricks, but you know, certain people use too many of them, and that's why certain people um, who work on those shows walk away sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are there are different levels of integrity, I think, and it, everyone has to make up their own mind. You know, the people who the people who do magic and cheat too much, take advantage of the medium in ways that I think are illogical and unfair. Those people, when you see them live, you can tell. Because you're like, oh, that's a TV magician. That shit looked great on TV. And I see this person live and they're not compelling and they're not interesting and they can't do an hour in a room. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think of TV as, I used to think of it as a necessary evil for mm-hmm. magic. But now I understand why, why it can be utilized and done in a good way. It's just very hard to do that in a way that is compelling and original and does fool people on the second viewing. Yeah. And feels good. Yeah. Too. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, yeah, there's, there's a limited amount of methods that you can rewatch over and over and over again on camera and they still fool you. 
like I look at my I, I left comments on for when I posted my Fool Us clip on YouTube <laughs> and I used to read them, uh -huh. but then I was like, wait a second. I don't slip my wrists in real life. <laughs> Why would I do it emotionally? <laughs> so, you know, you get to watch, you know, listen to people try to deconstruct things if you post something on YouTube. And I was pleasantly delighted that um, of the thousands of comments or however many comments there were, there was like one or two people who were like right about a thing or two, mm -hmm. but almost everyone was wrong. doesn't matter. They think they're right. They think they clocked it ideally you want a situation where they don't even yeah suggest anything but they always will um but also like be careful about listening to feedback from the internet some of it's really good feedback and some of it's just like people who are just there to troll what were some of your favorite bad comments some things that really hurt you oh my god <laughs> like I personally would, i would upset you <laughs> <laughs> actually the things that hurt me the most were magicians Jewish who were debunking. No, no, that that would have been fine. And there was plenty of weird anti-Semitic shit that I thought was hilarious. I mean, d absolutely disappointing. Yeah, of course. But that didn't actually hurt me. What really yeah. hurt me mm -hmm. was people who call themselves magicians trying to explain how the trick was done. Yeah. Luckily, most of them were wrong, but that... But at that, that point, it doesn't matter. Totally. But that, yeah. like, that actually hurt my soul. Yeah. Because it's like, you... I thought you cared about this thing. Why are you trying to destroy it for everyone else? You don't understand magic. The things that... The really insane comments are the things that actually were really fun, which, um... Uh, on my phone... Let me grab my phone here. See if I can pull this up on Instagram. Because anytime there was something that was really, really bad... What I would do is I would just take a screenshot of it and post it on Instagram <laughs> and on Facebook. That's Anytime great. there was something just like insanely anti-Semitic yeah. or just like someone calling me gay. I love it. Uh, I would just take a screen grab. I'll see if I can find one. And if I can't in a couple of moments, I will, I will give up because I don't want to take too much time doing this. Oh, here's a good YouTube exchange. Oh, this, oh yeah, this is good. So this is, <laughs> this is a screen grab from my clip, from my Foolish clip. Do you want me to read it as the person who commented it? Uh, sure. Uh, you want to read what he said and I'll read what I said back to him? Yeah. We'll sit next to each other and read it like a play. Okay. Okay. So it starts right there. Okay. Apologies uh, beforehand, you guys. What a fucking... Grant, are you having a bad day? Your interpretation of my comment is wrong. I'm just stating facts. I also assume that you are homosexual. <laughs> Update. I'm in the process of creating a Kickstarter to cheer you up. Can you send me a photo of you looking particularly miserable? Maybe holding up a homophobic sign or stepping on a puppy? Something that shows the true you? I think it would help drive traffic. All proceeds will go to buying you a large hang-in-there-kitten poster for your room. Please advise. <laughs> Great, great. So that, that was, I think, like, the best way to deal with that stuff is... Oh, yeah, totally. Like, either that or just to not engage. And I turned off alerts, so now when someone comments on, uh, on one of those videos, I don't see it. Just because you can, only, you can only fight with idiots on the internet for so long yeah. before it starts to affect your mental health. Mm -hmm. And that's why, I mean, that's why you have to be careful with it. When I posted the Magicians for Trump video... I had a white supremacist guy threaten my family, mm -hmm. saying he knows where I live and he knows where my family lives and all that stuff. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. There are real bad people out there. Yeah. 
be careful with, you know. That was like a little reminder to me to be careful, like who you talk to and how you talk to them. Because I was just kind of like, I was not egging him on per se, but I I could, I should have just walked away earlier. Mm -hmm. And then eventually he was like, I was like, oh, do I have to turn this guy into the police? I decided not to, but I also decided just to back away and not engage. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's fine. <laughs> it's all gonna work. Everything's gonna be fine, you guys. Everybody knows. My girlfriend's Canadian. I'm gonna be good. How much how much minimalism do you do in your show? Great. Here's why I ask. Answer the question first. <laughs> I wish that was your interviewing style for the whole thing. So, what do you open with? Here's why I ask. Go ahead and ask. <laughs> that would be amazing. That would be the best. I would listen to that podcast every day. Um, uh, <laughs> I do. I do want to know why you asked, but I do almost no mentalism. But I do a lot of mental magic. Okay. And what's the difference? So I'm different. I'm using the way that I'm defining them as mentalism is straight up mind reading, like Q and A style, um, like real hardcore. I'm reading your mind stuff. Uh, mentalism is any other sort of like mental effects. Most people who call themselves mentalists are doing mental magic for most of it, unless you're doing like a true Q&A act and just blindfold and just those things. So I don't do very much of that at all, although I have dabbled in it. Um, I kind of pulled back when I did a walk around gig in Vegas once and I was like, I'm only going to do mentalism just to try this as an experiment. And within the first 20 minutes, uh, a young woman pulled me over to a couch and told me that her parents were both just killed in a horrible car accident, and she could tell that I had the power to contact them, and she wanted to know if she was going to be okay and what she should do with her life. To like, which she responded, What do you think of this? <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had said that. I wish I had pulled out my penis. That would have been an amazing, especially because she didn't know the story, because she hasn't heard the podcast up until now. Yeah, yeah. Because that was in the past. Uh-huh. She would have been so shocked. <laughs> Maybe it would have made her feel better. I don't know. How did you respond, though? Uh, Here's why I ask. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what I responded out loud was giving her the best possible advice that I would give if a friend came to me and said that. Yeah. Um, but in my brain, up in my, my head area, I was like, ooh, I'm going to put the billets away for a while. <laughs> this is, well, let me get back to card tricks and pickpocketing this for a little bit. This makes me uncomfy. Yeah, that stuff is powerful to, to a lot of people. And so that really, like, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that can, that's a thing that can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I do do quite a bit of mental magic in my show, um, which is like the coincidence style routines that I do are all mental magic. Um, I do a lot of, instead of picking cards, I do more thought of playing card routines. Mm-hmm. Um, psychological forcing with results where like, I'll, you know, I'll load a playing card into someone's pocket and then 10 minutes later, psychologically force that card on that person in a really fair, open way. Mm-hmm. Because then you have a perfect miracle because then you're 40 feet away, you haven't touched them, and the card that they think of is in their own pocket. It's, yeah. it's like it's like TV ma- magic, but real. Yeah. Um, so I would rather do something like that, even if it's not going to hit every time, I would rather do something like that than doing like more classic pick-a-card things. So I do do mental magic pretty often in my 
show and I don't know, I would say maybe a third of my show mm-hmm. is mental magic. Okay. Well, here's why. No, why do you ask? <laughs> here's why I ask is I wonder if you think mental magic slash mentalism has to head into a comedic direction just because of the culture and because of the attention span, which you mentioned earlier. We have to keep people engaged because, uh, you know, it's it's a more ethereal form of magic. <clears throat> I don't think it has to. Mm-hmm. Definitely not. There are plenty of people who are reading people's minds who aren't really that funny, who are really, really strong and powerful. That being said, I would probably watch Darren do a show before I'd watch them do a show. And Darren's really funny. John Stetson's really funny. I mean, these are guys who are doing material that are incredible, incredibly powerful, and it's mentalism or mental magic. And it's very funny. Luke Germain is hilarious. He's like consciously decided to be less funny in what he's doing right now but when we were working together in vegas when we were doing comedy clubs together he had an act that was like incredibly funny so it depends on who you are like i like i like funny Mm -hmm. that make that lights up things inside of me Mm -hmm. but i don't think it's the only way to do it and i definitely don't think it's a direction that people should go if it's not natural to them already Mm -hmm. but if you do have if you do already go in that direction a little bit, you can nurture and cultivate that in yourself and get better at it. Just lean into it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Just by sheer will and working, mm-hmm. like by writing jokes and trying them. Yeah. How many how many states and cities have you visited? Just and I'll tell you why I ask. <laughs> <laughs> the, there, I think there are three states that I haven't been to yet. Okay. I don't think I've been to North Dakota. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've been to, is it Vermont? It's one of the East Coast ones. Mm -hmm. And I haven't been to Mississippi, although I'm going to. What if I was like, it is Vermont? (laughs) (laughs) That would be so creepy and amazing. That's when you turn over the prediction. Vermont. Here's the other billet. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on, let me load this out of a box. I have a scroll that says Vermont. Why? I don't know. Just happen to have it. Uh, Yeah, and... uh, I don't, I don't even know cities. I've been to a lot of places. Last year was like my biggest year as far as number of shows. I think I did 230 some mm-hmm. full length shows, yeah. which is crazy. Were those mostly colleges? Mostly or? colleges, Okay. yeah. And there were definitely chunks in there where I did like 28 days straight of different cities every mm-hmm. single day. Airplanes and like very little sleep, very like, it's interesting. The first day you don't get a lot of sleep. It's you know it's kind of hard, but you can do it. The second day, ooh, it's kind of rough. That third day, on like two hours lesser sleep, just oh that is that is dangerous. And then once you go beyond that, it's like I think it's clinically like they say, <laughs> don't do that. You'll lo- like lose brain cells. Like I remember, I remember being at an airport, and this was like maybe th- the third day with very little sleep. And I was like, I'm going to try to take like a a 10 minute power nap. And I put on headphones and I press play on some Death Camp for Cutie, which is a band that I find very comforting and that I've loved since I was in high school. Mm -hmm. And I immediately started crying. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) Because if you get to like that level of no sleep, 
like it screws with it screws with your your physical oh ability and your intellectual ability, but also emotionally. Like yeah. it just you turn into it's it's you're just raw. You're, you're totally <laughs> raw. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Someone could look at you funny. You just have a full mental breakdown. Uh, did you ever get into the postal service? Yeah, yeah. Give Up is an amazing album. Yeah. I grew up on like Modest Mouse, Death Camp for Cutie, and the Pixies. Those were my jams. I used to play in a band in high school. And that's oh, what really? I was really into. Yeah. What, what were you? What were you playing? That Bass. same kind of. Oh. Yeah. Oh, oh, well, uh, genre. Yeah, sort of indie rock. <laughs> back that sort of that era of indie rock. Mm-hmm. And that didn't work out for me. The, the band wasn't. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> He start crying. <laughs> yeah, I start crying. I put in headphones, listen to Duck Captain Cutie, and cry for the rest of the podcast. What do you think of that? That is the goal, by the way, is you spit a little bit when you're laughing. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, don't apologize. I your that is my <laughs> That is always my goal. During a show like about a week ago, there was a woman in the audience. From the beginning of the show, within five minutes, I would do a joke and the audience would laugh, but then you'd hear one person go, <laughs> and then I did another joke. <laughs> and it just became a centerpiece of the whole show. I brought up, I did the pickpocketing routine to her son-in-law, which, I mean, she was just, like, losing her, like, that was her laugh. And, yeah. like, oh, God bless this woman. She was unbelievable. So was, if you can make someone spit yeah. or, like, choke or, you know, that's that's the goal always. Yeah. Oh, man, that was good. That was, was a good one. Jazz hands. <laughs> That's why it's because they started doing because <laughs> I started doing jazz hands and picked up my coffee with my dick. What if someone tuned in just then, like hasn't heard the rest of the podcast, just scrolled to that point and oh. heard that? I can tell you they'd go back to the beginning. Let's <laughs> <laughs> turn it off immediately. <laughs> it's the same woman who complained about not like, oh my god, she just has a heart attack and dies right there. <laughs> Thank God it was on repeat. The yeah. listens for this episode are <laughs> outstanding. How many people do listen to this podcast? Or is that not a thing you talk about on air? Uh, I'm happy to talk about it because it's not enough. Uh, you guys, tell your friends to listen to this podcast. Oh, you're contractually obligated to plug this at every college. <laughs> Fair. All these people who are like, I loved that show, but I do not want to hear talk about magic for however long we do. But I will listen to him talk about his dick. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, no, I... Um, <clears throat> it depends. I think I'm nearing... I'm nearing 85,000 listens total. That's great. So I'm averaging over 1,000 listens an episode. Cool, man. Cool. Very exciting. I don't know what you'll get off of mine because I'm not in the magic world that much. Like, I noticed people in magic when I was publishing, Mm -hmm. like, knew who I was. And now it's, like, vague familiarity. (laughs) I, uh... I, I want this also to be a thing that non-magicians listen to, which is why I don't like talking about method. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I don't either. Yeah. Uh, you don't either what? I don't. I also don't like talking about method oh, 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 in oh, a oh, podcast yeah, yeah. format. Mm-hmm. But yes, usually yes, I'm doing yeah. a podcast with a comedian. Yeah. And what, you know, that's like... not. But I also respect the fact that you're leaving that off of this because it's a public mm-hmm. forum. Like, the one of my first magic teachers... No, my absolute first magic teacher, a man named Tim Catlett, theater person, brilliant, brilliant guy. Um, He lived in Milwaukee when I lived there, and he 
you know, was a lighting designer and set designer, and um, now he's out in New York working. Um, but he gave me that little nugget of respect about method early on. Mm-hmm. He performed at my bar mitzvah party. Wow. Everyone was having dances. Everyone would do dances so they could dry hump. No, not me. I got a magician. <laughs> and I dry humped to that <laughs> magician's performance. No. <laughs> Tim uh, performed at my at my party. Mm-hmm. I was 13. All my friends were 13. And they were... There was a bunch of kids there who I didn't want to be there. They were just people who had to be invited for whatever, like social reason mm-hmm. um and some of them were rich. yeah <laughs> no there are people who went to the same school as me mm-hmm. um how many people and, were at because i you know yeah. i've never been to one so how many a people bar mitzvah were there? Yeah, yeah oh my god i don't know mine it was probably like 300 people at the bar mitzvah uh-huh. and like 50 people at this party and how many how many bar mitzvahs did you go to well, I went to a Jewish. I went to a Jewish school, so Milwaukee Jewish Day School. So we went to every single person's bar mitzvah, which is thirty in a year. Wow! Which is like just. I mean, I'm surprised I'm still alive. It was just so painful. So much dry humping. So much dry humping during the ceremony. It's weird. Yes. People didn't wait for the party. <laughs> There's two things. There's the bar mitzvah where you actually become a man mm-hmm. or a woman. Uh, or whatever now liberal yeah. good yeah. like it right. uh, and then there's the party that people like do dances and things uh-huh. and that's where the dry humping takes place during the magic show during the magic show so what he said to you about method was so, well what he did was he performed he was doing a set and some of the kids were being really shitty they're mm-hmm. just being you know 13 year olds are not an easy group to perform for yeah and he kind of like shut everyone down and then did shadow coins and it went from everyone just like kind of heckling and being difficult and mm-hmm. it being an uncomfortable situation to you can hear there's a video of it somewhere an old VHS you can hear the kid who is being the most difficult go oh my god like it it fucking killed him and yeah. it killed me too yeah. i had never seen it before i didn't know the method uh-huh. and and it completely blew my dick off like yes. it was just like I blew my mind, right? Yeah, yeah. You know where that expression is. I do, I do. Elliot and I just had a moment together. We had a little inside moment. And a little inside baseball moment. Oh, just keep tossing it your way. Jesus. <clears throat> so, so yeah, he didn't Ooh, teach it. <laughs> okay, now these are just inside jokes from the podcast that this kind of is modeled against which oh is awesome just, yeah ripped off <laughs> totally so and he ripped off mark maron so really this I is know, the magical it's... version of wtf yeah but he didn't teach me that method mm-hmm. he was teaching me some method he was like uh, mentoring me in magic when i was young but and i wanted to learn shadow coins so badly and he made me wait i think a few years before mm-hmm. he taught it to me and mm-hmm. it gave me respect and reverence for the idea of method being a thing that carries weight yeah now you can, I mean, you could then too with books, but like you see a trick online, you're like, I want to learn that. You can buy that trick, you can download it, and you have that secret immediately. Mm-hmm. And you lose some of the respect for the idea, I think, mm-hmm. when you can access it that quickly. Like if there's a trick you want to buy, there's something good about seeing that trick and then letting it marinate and forcing yourself to not buy it for a month or whatever the time frame is for you because mm-hmm. it'll give you a respect for that idea that I don't think always exists with people. Yeah, That's what I like about Armando Lucero, one of the many things, and Armando's one of my teachers. Um, I learned so much from him doing the workshops. Um, but 
with those, there's so much of a reverence and respect for what a secret is Mm -hmm. and for these ideas and even the tiniest little subtlety. There's so much, so much like there's such an air of secret around it that it gave me, yeah, a big respect Mm -hmm. for that, which I think is important. Yeah. I think this also goes back to, uh, short attention spans, sort of, but the idea that like, some of the methods that are available so quickly now aren't even necessarily worth being respected <laughs> too, you know? Totally. <clears throat> so that that's like a weird thing too that's a sort of a modern problem. Yes, although there are, of course, modern magicians putting out awesome material. It's just that magicians nowadays have to sort through so much junk mm-hmm. to find the good things. Mm-hmm. That's very difficult. And magic methods feel more disposable because of that junk. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Where, like, back in the day, if Jimmy Grippo did this one thing, he was the only one who knew how it worked. Yeah. And maybe, like, a couple other people. Like, that's, like, with some of the some of the things that, like, Charlie Miller came up with and, like, all of these guys from that era. Like, a lot of it's lost for most people, and I think that's a good thing mm-hmm. in a lot of ways because it's good to still have secrets. It's good to still have things that you don't understand. Because also, if you learn certain secrets too early, it will hinder your progress. How so? Well, if you learn all of the methods all at once when you're a 16-year-old magician developing, then how much time are you really spending thinking about the ideas and the intricacies and the subtleties of each thing? You can't because your time is spread so thin. Mm -hmm. But if you learn a little bit at a time then you're going to understand things better. I firmly believe that. I mean, yeah. knowledge is good. Obviously, knowledge is a good thing. Um, and the more you know, the better, of course. Yeah. But not necessarily all at once. And also, like, what's the point? I met a young magician. I, I did a show. This was like a week ago. I did a show on the cruise. And there was this young magician, probably 14 or 15. Okay. And he came up to me. He was so excited to talk to me. He clearly like had done some homework. Clearly, had learned some magic. He was familiar with uh, he was familiar with art of magic. He was familiar with theory eleven, and mm-hmm. like he knew some stuff. And there was nothing he wanted more than for me to teach him a couple things, mm-hmm. which I was happy to do. But I said, "Show me what you already know." Yeah. And he only knew like four card moves, mm-hmm. but one of them was the diagonal palm shift. Yeah. What are you? doing (laughs) there's like 10 people in the world who can make that move look good you're 15 years old why would you be trying to learn that move that's crazy Mm -hmm. i mean he could he he, this is before he could do a top change Mm -hmm. or a double lift Mm -hmm. or like the glide yeah he couldn't do an overhand shuffle yet but he was trying to learn this move that is so difficult and so difficult to do well Mm -hmm. that's a perfect example of too much or the wrong kind of knowledge too early on, Mm -hmm. I think. Because here's what's going to happen. He's going to do a trick where he has a card selected. He's going to take back that card, which is already not a very fair way to handle a card. He's going to put it into the deck. He's going to try to do the diagonal palm shift. People are going to see it. They're going to call him out. He's going to get discouraged. Or Mm -hmm. worse, they see it and don't call him out, and he keeps doing it. Yeah. All of which are bad for him and his development as a magician. So, like, learn the classics. Yes, absolutely. Learn the classics. There's, I mean, you can't hit on it enough, but you've got to have that self-awareness. 
Like, it, it's hard to impress upon people getting started to respect the progression that it takes. I mean, yes. you can't, magic is one of those things that where you always had a uh, an apprentice, where a master had an apprentice. Yeah. And you kind of have to impose that upon yourself. You're like, I'm an apprentice to the internet now, essentially. is like, I have to be my own filter, which is difficult to do, but it makes it... M- I think I, I'm speaking from experience. Grew up a small town, no magicians. I just use the internet essentially to learn what I learned, and the diagonal palm shift is one of those moves that I learned early and like practiced thousands and thousands of times. But I had the self awareness not to use it until I was comfortable with it and had learned the other fundamentals. Cool. Which, you know, you can't you can't do anything well until you understand how to do it correctly. Yeah. And. That means starting at the bottom. Yeah. So I agree with you, absolutely. Um, and there's nothing wrong with learning hard moves and getting good. Like, learning yeah, hard moves yeah, can yeah, make yeah. you really good at sleight of hand. That's mm-hmm. awesome. And yeah. people should be doing that. Like, that's better than the generation of people who are, like, doing stage magic and doing hacky stage magic, but if you hand them the deck of cards, can't do a trick. Mm-hmm. That that drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. And there are people who are, like, have shows on the Las Vegas Strip who couldn't do a, a magic trick. Mm-hmm. Like, you could hand them a coin or even me like choose a small object of your choice and do a trick for me and they couldn't do it yeah um that's insane that's worse uh both examples are bad uh, learn things get good at magic care about magic be well-rounded yes be self-aware yeah totally. um speaking of self-awareness how do you handle hecklers do you need to oh, i'm gonna cal- while we're talking uh-huh i'm going to just calculate the drive um Oh yeah, no. Take... We're, we we can be done whenever you're ready. To okay. Be. I mean, this is yeah, yeah. I'm I'm good either way. This is this is fun. I'm having a good time. You're good. a nice fellow. Oh, thank you. We didn't really know we, we we like ran into each other. That's pretty much it. Yeah, this is really the first time we've ever spent any time together. And how do you like me so far? I wish I could see your dick. Honestly, Aww. well, we could. Your girlfriend's lovely, though. <laughs> that was perfect timing since she stepped out to plug the parking meter. <laughs> uh, there's no girlfriend. There's no girlfriend. I swear to you, there's a girlfriend. <laughs> but she's Canadian. She is Canadian. Um, uh, what did you ask though? You asked, oh, how do oh, I how do you handle hecklers? hecklers? Yeah, yeah. Great question. And how does a different uh, differ per the venue? Um. What the fuck is wrong with you? I just turned on ways to see how long it would take for me to it get where It talks still, to you? you That's the worst thing in the world. I'm, I listen to <laughs> podcasts and music when I drive, and so I need that as a thing. I'm just going to turn it down. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't, I don't mind. It's okay. Uh, I, I, what if that was the deal breaker? Like, I am no longer going to post this podcast. <laughs> We're done. We're done. <laughs> how do I handle hecklers? Um... And how is it different in each venue? Oh, it's very different. Oh, couldn't be... Yeah, they couldn't be more different. Um, I handle a heckler on a cruise ship very, very gently. And I poke fun at them very carefully. Mm-hmm. And everything is accelerated when I'm in an environment where I'm not censored. Mm-hmm. And on a cruise ship, there's you know usually a lot of older people, a lot of conservative people. They have very sensitive ears, mm-hmm. as we've discussed so you have to be careful. Mm-hmm. When you're in a comedy club, you can pretty much do anything. At a college, you can do a lot more than a cruise ship, but they're also sensitive about a lot of things, especially like racial things, as they should be, especially with the climate right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's different. I 
didn't really know how to handle hecklers in Las Vegas. I kind of did it a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I would just deal with it in the moment. And I used, when I was like, I think, a late teenager, maybe early 20s, I used a couple stock lines for hecklers, Mm -hmm. which I hate doing and would never do again, but I didn't know any better that young. Sure. No one had said, people had said, don't use stock lines, but like when you get into that situation... Um, you go on autopilot. Yeah, you're like, it's, oh. It's fight or flight. Yeah, yeah. totally. Uh, there's a great comedy magician called Keith Fields who wrote a book about hecklers. And uh, and I I remember reading it and there were some lines in there. And so, you know, I'd, I'd use a line or two for that. But also the, the ideas in that book. If you're performing magic, you're getting heckled a lot. That's a good book to get. But also, if you're performing magic and getting heckled a lot, you should also re-examine, like, what about... Is it where you're performing? Is it about how you're presenting yourself? What's making people heckle you? Mm-hmm. Um, so I got a contract to perform in Reno, Nevada at Harrah's Hotel and Casino, performing a spot in a burlesque show. And I moved out to Reno, and it was six beautiful naked girls and me, and I would do a 15-minute spot of stand-up and magic in the middle. So the very first night, I walked out, and everything went fine. Mm-hmm. Did a great set. Walked off stage. Second night, I got heckled. And then occasionally would get heckled a lot and badly. And then oftentimes would get heckled a bit. Mm-hmm. Because, like, you know, I walk out on stage and someone yells, Bring back the tits! Yeah. <laughs> and I haven't even started yet. <laughs> so that was a really good training ground for me to learn how to deal with heckling. Mm-hmm. Because I would try to make jokes I would try to come back at them with jokes and part of the time they were funny and it worked and part of the time I just sounded super mean (laughs) (laughs) like sometimes I would just go at them and then the audience would like pull back Mm -hmm. and suddenly they were on their side and not mine yeah like the the easiest way to I think handle hecklers is to turn the audience against them Mm -hmm. that's the simplest way to do it Mm -hmm. um how do you do that well what are the steps that go through your mind I mean, obviously, you're not consciously thinking of them. Yeah, it depends on who you are and what you look like. Like, I'm a pretty, even though I'm now in my early 30s, I still am like a kind of a sweet looking, feeling guy, sort Mm -hmm. of. Like, I'm I'm not really... You look young and innocent. Yeah, I I have that look about me, Mm -hmm. I think. And so, it's sort of easy if someone comes after me to... Just be like, uh, uh, I'm. I'm just trying. I'm just trying to do magic tricks puck, for you guys. I'm sneaky, yeah, mischievous. I'm just the sneaky guy. This. If you give off an air of like, oh, I, I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to do the magic tricks for the people. <laughs> and then this guy is coming in and fucking everything up. Then the audience will kind of shut that person down sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's hard to answer the question because now I take it on a case by case basis. Sure. And I will, and I don't, I won't hesitate to attack the person if I've tried other things and they haven't worked. Mm-hmm. Like, I've told people just like straight up like, oh yeah, dude, you're going to have to leave, man. You're just, you're going to have to go. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Everyone here. Do- I did a show at the castle mm-hmm. and Werner Herzog was there mm-hmm. in the audience. It was Jamie and Swiss, Werner Herzog, like a bunch of, I'm not going to go through the whole list, but a bunch of like people I respected Mm -hmm. and there were these five super hammered people in the audience just so drunk I like made jokes about it I kind of played with it and then eventually I was like hey guys you're gonna have to leave right now 
and they were like too drunk to get it. And mm-hmm. I said that and the entire audience burst into applause because I gave it enough time that the audience was like, yeah, these people are ruining the experience for us. And so the whole audience was against these people. Yeah. Um, and so I was still the hero. But if someone like doesn't heckle in a malicious way, mm-hmm. Or if they see how something's done and kind of tell you, that's not necessarily them heckling. Mm-hmm. Like, if if you do a if you do a trick and you flash to someone and they say, "Oh, I saw that card in your pocket," that's not really them heckling exactly. Yeah, and that's not a person who you should necessarily just beat down immediately. Yeah, because they're just they're just being the audience member that you want them to be. Mm-hmm. You want everyone to be observant and pay attention. Mm-hmm. And suddenly it's like, oh, you didn't do your job correctly, and someone called you on it. That's not their fault. Yeah, that's yeah. not their fault, and don't attack them, because then the audience will be like, oh, he fucked up the trick, and he's an asshole. Yeah, exactly. So, um, t- uh, yeah, take it slow, judge it by the moment, and you will get better at it as you do it more, like everything. Of course. That's the advice to all the magicians, mm-hmm. is just keep doing it, and you slowly get better, and the key is to learn from your mistakes. Another piece of advice I got, I don't remember who gave it to me, learn something every show. Great. Every time you do a show, make sure you come away with a new thing that you could have done better. Maybe it's in a trick, but even better if it's a bigger idea mm-hmm. that also has a specific application. Because then every time you do a show, you're getting better. And then eventually, you know, eventually you're Mac King and anything that goes wrong has already happened to you a thousand times and you know exactly what to do. Yeah. Cool, man. Yeah. I feel pretty good. How you feel? feel I good? feel I feel great. Thanks for that coffee. You're welcome. Uh... That was delightful. Yeah. If you, I, I'm, I, I can't. I, if anyone is still listening, congratulations. Uh, you've won an Art of Magic car. <laughs> it will be shipped to your address. Um, if anyone's still listening, thanks for thanks for being here. If you want to see what I do, uh, there's a bunch of TV clips that are on my YouTube account and on my website. So you can find stuff if you want to see things, but it's better to see me live if possible. If you're in college, I might come to your school. So keep an eye on social media because that could happen. And uh, if you want to see me uh, perform, uh, it costs $1,500, but you get a free cruise out of it. <laughs> so that's cool. <laughs> Are there any other any other things, Elliot? Yeah, there are just some, some final questions. Sure. Uh, do you ever want to become a personality? That tip of the pyramid thing that we talked about earlier. Oh, God, I would love to have... I would love to become that personality, but without the fame. Mm. Like, I I used to think that I would want to be famous, like a lot of people, like a lot of entertainers. And the more and more I look at what it would require and what would come with it, the more and more I'm like, oh, those are compromises that I'm not necessarily willing to make. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I would rather become famous in uh, in a way where I can... I would rather become famous without doing America's Got Talent. Let's just put it that way. Okay. That being said, if I do that show someday, maybe I will, because maybe I'll have my reasons. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to have my 15 seconds of fame and then have it like fizzle out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want to do it in a show where I have to strip all of the things that I love about a piece away so I can fit it in 30 seconds on yep. camera. Cool. Uh, who are some of your favorite magicians? Uh, Jared Kopp, right now. Oh my god, he's... <laughs> Jared is currently my favorite magician. I love him so much. Jared's Absolutely. Pheno- a phenomenal magician and human being, and 
when I see him perform, I'm like, oh yeah, that's so so completely different than anything I would have thought of. And it's so unique and wonderful and beautiful. Jared also publishes stuff by all the things that Jared put out. I think Jared might even have some things on Art of Magic. He does indeed. By them, he is, his thinking is brilliant and he's an awesome performer. So currently he is who really I love. Uh, I just saw Darren Brown's show in New York and had dinner with him afterwards, which was absolutely amazing. He's always been a favorite. David Williamson, I told you at the beginning, still mm-hmm. one of my favorite magicians to this day. Um, yeah, I loved Ricky Jay and his 52 assistants. That impacted me. What was your favorite assistant? Oh my God, probably the three of spades. Not the Jack Clatter. <laughs> <laughs> You know, the penis card. <laughs> Ricky J. And it, never mind. <laughs> Ricky J. and his 52 penises? Is that what you're going to say? Uh, something like it's that. It's a new sci-fi thriller. I think David Mamet's directing it. <laughs> <laughs> Ricky J. and his penis assistant. Oh my god, that sounds, <laughs> sounds great. I'd watch it. Um, I'd watch it if Mamet was involved. Oh my god, of course. And if Jules Fisher did the lighting, it'd be great. Um... Jules Fisher is the lighting design for a lot of David Mamet's live shows, and he designed the lighting for Ricky Day's 52 Assistants. If you knew that Inside Baseball without me explaining it to you, congratulations, you just won an Art of Magic (laughs) pair of scissors. (laughs) Your second Art of Magic car. Uh, What are some of your favorite pieces of inspiration in art? Modest Mouse, Mm -hmm. musically. Um, Early Death Cab for Cutie. Mm -hmm. Um... I always loved M.C. Escher as a kid. I thought his work was very magical. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a lot in comedy. George Carlin is the reason I got into comedy, probably. Wow. I read Brain Droppings when I was a kid. Mm. And it completely, like, that was, that was it. Um, so a lot of really great stand-ups, starting with him. And modern day, uh, I love... Mike Kaplan is now a really good friend. He's one of my best friends. He's also one of my favorite comedians. Um, when I watch him work, it just, it's, he's, he's so magical and amazing on stage. And I love all the people you'd think of. Maria Bamford, mm-hmm. Bill Burr, Dimitri Martin. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. There's so much. It's mu- huge right now. Oh my God, there's so many great stand-ups right now. It's incredible. Rory Scovel is one of those Fuck. people who I watch. His new special is hilarious. Oh, I haven't seen it yet. Oh, it's so I'm good. so excited. It's very good. Everything that guy touches is so good. I love John Doerr. Like, I love absurdist guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, I love one-liner guys like Steve Martin. Or, uh, I'm sorry, I meant Stephen Wright. But, of course, I love Steve Martin, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I really like, like, long-form story people like Jake Johansson. And um, uh, Bill Burr does a lot of long stories now um like yeah all uh, there's so much great comedy out there and as a magician if you want to get better at performing seeing what people are doing with comedy like oh my god watch drop what you're doing and watch bo burnham's make happy oh my god it's a masterpiece it's an absolute masterpiece piece and it's one of my my favorite pieces of like art like that last that last 10 minutes into after the applause like, that hit me harder than I think anything I've seen in a long time it's, as a performer. It's transcendent, yeah. Yeah, it's it's absolutely incredible. So watch Bo Burnham make happy. And if you watch it and you don't get it, watch it again. Yeah. Because it's... Oh, yes. It's amazing. It's... it's re- that, guy, that guy is just so next level. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah. Watch that special. 
that's that's good advice yes yeah. and make sure when you watch these guys that you don't see them and go oh okay that's a good joke i'm gonna do that or that's a good thing i'm gonna do that because you're point. missing the fucking point <laughs> exactly exactly yeah. and the, the only reason that i think i'm harping on this so much and probably elliot does and probably a lot of people who come on your podcast do is because it's it's just it's it's rough on magic and yeah. it doesn't make if you do that stuff, it doesn't make you better. It makes you, it hinders your performance and it hinders your ability to explore what you can become. And I think magic is moving in a direction. There's some amazingly creative people out there. I think magic is hopefully moving in a direction where maybe at some point in the future, more people will view it as more than just how a lot of comedians viewed magic in the eighties. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's about time. I mean, like, there's we don't have an excuse anymore. It's not like this brotherhood of secrets like it used to be. I mean, you know, like we talked about, there was a handful of guys that knew how to do the thing, or there was the inner circle in New York. It's like, yeah. I can talk to people all over the world now. We can all share ideas, and, and it's, it's... I'm over the idea that magic is more about secrets than it is about being good art yeah right yeah totally i think i think more people are and i think that's really really beautiful and i hope it keeps moving in that direction yeah all right last thing what was the like the your favorite moment of astonishment i've been asking what's the hardest time you were fooled but my favorite moment of astonishment yeah. that i gave to someone else or someone gave to me uh both okay um i mean that I received the moment in Penn and Teller's show where all of the coins change into the fish. That is real magic. Is up there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, As are a bunch of other things. Oh my God. I got to do uh, Randy Pitchford's theater, the, uh, the peacock. Yeah. The peacock. And it was me and Marcus Monroe, who's my childhood best friend. And I saw Marcus at Monday night magic and holy fuck. He's great. He's a beast. He's one of the best people working today hilarious juggler Mm -hmm. so hilarious so unique and he's one of those guys who like marcus is a great example you could take the juggling out and he's still marcus Mm -hmm. just like with darren brown you can take the mentalism out he's still darren yeah um just yeah so unique and so incredible if you haven't gotten a chance to see marcus monroe perform do it drop what you're doing and watch him um uh oh what was the thought where were we Oh, Peacock Theater. Yeah. Me, Marcus Monroe, Brett Loudermilk, and Penn and Teller performed. Mm-hmm. So we all got to do a show together, and then I got to hang out with Teller afterwards and talk for, like, five hours, which was one of the greatest nights of my life. And, um, and yeah, getting to talk to him, it, it was incredible. for Because we had talked, and we'd met, and we'd hung out before, but never for, like, chunk of hours of time. And Randy is amazing, too. It was an incredible night. But, like, yeah. Teller has developed some pieces of magic that stick out to me as just so much wonder. Like, the bit that they were doing with the disappearing cow, I figured it out almost immediately when the big turn happens. Mm -hmm. But there was five seconds where I felt the greatest feeling of astonishment I've felt in 20 years. Wow. And the reason I figured it out is only because of my background. Mm -hmm. Of course, I think lay people are destroyed by that too. But for the people who haven't seen the show, a random volunteer and the audience on stage with no cover changes into teller yeah and it is beautiful it's incredible and god the best that i've given someone huh 
That's really, really hard. I don't know if this is the best one, but this is the one that comes to mind, and maybe Jack this is the story to end on. <laughs> <laughs> and Elliot, what do you think of that? <laughs> um, in college, I was doing just some close-up card magic, and uh, I had been throwing cards, and I took a card, and I glanced it, and I threw it across the room, trying to make it into this girl's purse. Mm-hmm when everyone was distracted and it was a perfect throw and it landed into her purse. And then I was like, amazing. Now I don't have a duplicate, but I have to somehow force that card to have a miracle. And so I was like, okay, I have to do a psychological force, but hot blah, 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 blah. The purse is across the room. I asked her to name any card. She names that card. It's not the queen of hearts. It's not like a force card. It was just, she named the card. And I said, I will make it appear anywhere in this room. Where would you like it to appear? And she looked around for a moment and she said, in my purse. And I said, okay. Trying to keep from going, yes! Oh my God, fuck yes! I was trying not to do that. On the, on the outside, I was like, okay, in sure. your purse, good. And I took a moment and she went over across the room and opened her purse and it wasn't there because it had somehow gone into her purse, into her wallet. It had just like slid in (laughs) like a card to wallet and she found it inside of her wallet. And it was, you know, she- And then you stopped doing magic. (laughs) (laughs) She's been completely, she's in a sanitarium now. (laughs) A lot of therapy. I also had one where I was doing a walk around gig and I was performing. There's these two two women who were just terrible. Like this is the worst magic spectators like in the world. And so I did one trick and then immediately was just like, I'm going to leave mm-hmm. um, because they were just terrible. Like they did not want to see magic. They didn't like me. I didn't like them, but they demanded, they like grabbed the cards out of my hand and set them down and they said, all right, I'm going to name a, I'm going to name a card. And they named a card and I spread out the deck and I say, you're going to find that card because why not? I hate these people. I don't care. It's probably not going to work. Yeah. And I had her put her finger on a random card and it hit. And I said, and well, nice meeting you. Peace out. Yep. And that was, they weren't even that amazed. They were just like, well, all right, cool. That was better. (laughs) But it was a lovely moment. Cool. Take chances. Yeah. It's good. Well, thank you so much. This is perfect. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Say keep it crisp. (laughs) (laughs) Are people going to get that? Some of them will. Some of them will. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it would be sacrilege for me to say it. No, please don't. But instead, I'll tell you about the hardest I ever laughed. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Thanks so much for listening to Magical Thinking. If you enjoyed the show, head over to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash magical thinking and become a patron to support the show and get access to exclusive content. Feel free to interact with me on Patreon, through the Facebook group, which you can find by searching Magical Thinking, or by emailing podcast at artofmagic.com. Follow us on all the social media channels, and tune in every Thursday for a new episode. I'll see you next Thursday. Cheers.